0: Hello everybody and welcome to All N. My name is Master Detective Archive Seth Code and... Wait a minute, where's Eric? Is, is he running late or...? Seth! Seth, come in! This is Billy
1: Hatcher and the giant Eric! Do you read me, old chum? Come in, over!
0: This is a walkie-talkie... Uh, yeah, I've got you, Eric. Where are you, man? We got a show to do! Over!
1: I'm delving headfirst into another expedition, of course! On the first leg of my journey, I'm brave in the terrors of the GameCube's tomb. There's a treasure trove of terrific titles that have been buried here since time immemorial. Over.
0: You, you know, when I said we'd be counting down the top five franchises that died on the GameCube, this isn't what I meant, Eric. Uh, over.
1: Ah, but the next stop on my adventure is the remastered ruins. My fellow explorers the world over are positively puzzled. Does the uncovering of ancient artifacts assuage the appetite for affluent amounts of new art? Uh, Over
0: that's a, a lot of alliteration and there is no possible way that the remastered ruins are a real place on this planet but, but anyways there have been a lot of remakes and remasters and we're, we're going to talk about it but but eric you've got to get back here quickly we have two guests joining us on the show this week seth fulkerson from cdi software and Audie Surly from limited run games are joining us to talk about their game RZ in the indie showcase uh, over
1: <laughs> i'm there in two shakes old chum <laughs> over and out
0: Wait, what? Ah! Ah! How did you get here so fast? Actually, you know what? No, I don't even want to know. We got to get the show started. (laughs) The best mysteries are yet to be uncovered,
1: old chum. It's time to go all in.
0: That's right, everybody. We're here bringing you another episode of All In a Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show where each and every week, no shawls left unturned, no point is left unearned. Got a great show for you today. Yeah, Digging up some old franchises, Eric. Digging up some old stuff, bringing it to the the now, and Mm -hmm. uh, we got some fun stuff planned for this week's episode of the show, my friend. But before we get into it, you know what we have to do? We have to dig up some patron shoutouts. That's right. That's right. We need to thank the wonderful friends and supporters, patreon.com slash all end podcast. Thank you all so much to everybody who supports us over there, especially our golden banana tier supporters like Rob Yapel, third strongest mole, Sean, Sean Baggins, Ashton, Tim, a AKA Neo Prime 33 AKA Nintendo dad, number four, Matt, shy guy, city, Murray, Phelan, Ward, Bill Tucker, Marcus O'Neill, Liam D, Bowser, gamer, Jason, Andrew Wilkins, and foolish Fuji, Thank you all very very much But moving into our triforce tier Eric we need to thank Josh Vaughn, the godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday, John Datfast Cummins, the host of the RetroLogic Podcast, as well as the on-topic retro podcast, the Globe Trotten jet setting Nintendo Hub and Sparky of the Nintendo Hub over on YouTube. Adam Caparello of the Retro Groove Podcast, as well as Octorock 1982 on YouTube. Shy Guy, the other half of our Shy Guy mod squad. Thank you, Shy Guy. Daniel Ahosa, Dan and Luma, Solo something, and the legend himself. The Indiana Jones of the person who digs up old game franchises.
1: Uncle
2: Randy.
0: Uncle Randy belongs in a museum, everybody, a national (laughs) treasure, Uncle Randy. Exactly. I got, I got two references in one, man. Look at us go. We're here. We're doing nice. it. Um, yeah, thanks so much to all of our patrons. We appreciate you very, very much. You can get a seven-day free trial of the Golden Banana tier, of course, over at patreon.com slash all in podcast. We really appreciate that. You can also drop us some words entirely for free. We don't have any new words to share this week, no new five-star reviews. But you can, you know, go ahead and get them in now. You're listening right now. You're already you love the show why don't you just do it hit that five-star review apple podcast PodChaser, yeah, audible leave us the review if you're on spotify it's real quick it's real easy and i'll shout you out here on the show i'll do it it's very easy it um, will like i can't I'm, I'm i'm holding it back right now he'll do it hold me back hold me back from shouting <laughs> out these reviews eric yeah so it's uh it's very very appreciated geez <laughs> yeah calm, i know you're happy about the reviews but calm down yeah, no, we we appreciate those reviews. It really it helps us climb the ranks. Uh, thank you, thank you to future you listening to this, leaving us that review. Um, we also weird little bit of like proto housekeeping. I guess you know we're we're we had two fantasy critic games released this week. We um, did, yes. Double Dragon. Um, what is it called? Double Dragon Gaiden. Yeah, Double Dragon Gaiden. Yeah, yeah. I thought I had another title than that, but I guess it's just that. Um, And then Disney Illusion Island both came out, but the review scores have not hit yet. The review scores have not hit at the time of this recording, so we can't give you an update on how many fantasy points we got. I'm sure they're both 95s. I'm sure.
3: <laughs> I'm I sure we cleaned
0: so. up. <laughs> For the love of God, I hope so. I didn't want to interrupt you. Double Dragon,
1: Gaiden, Rise of the Dragons. That's it. I knew there was something to
0: it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. They, well, we, they, yeah. they wanted to fit a few more dragons into that title.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They they, they didn't meet their dragon quota yet with that title. <laughs> uh yeah, but so those two released. We'll come back next week and give y'all the uh the update on that for our fantasy crazy. Speaking Critic, of but.
1: digging up old franchises. I mean, that's right. <laughs> I mean, Double Dragon, the Illusion series. I still have very fond memories of playing Mickey's Illusion Castle and Illusion Island, and even that really good, like, PlayStation 3 remake of uh, Castle of Illusion. So it's, yeah. it's really nice to see the Illusion games back, um, even though they look much more like another franchise. I'm still
0: very excited to play it this weekend. Me too. Yeah, I want to play it too. Definitely got my uh my eyes on it. That's why we drafted it. We 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 feel like it's gonna be good. So we'll uh we'll let y'all know. You know, and you can always, you know, by the time you're listening to this, hopefully review scores have hit. You can hit the, the fantasy critic link. It's always in the Discord and everything. You can hit that, follow along the league. Um so you'll know before we do. Uh but with all that being said, Eric, what's been going on in your world this week, my friend? Oh, my friend, I've
1: had a very good week. A very, very good week. Here we are, like right smack dab in the middle of San Diego Comic Con from last weekend. EVO is next weekend. It's just this awesome sandwich right in the middle during which I've been playing a ton of amazing video games. Make sure to check out our news breakdown from this past week up now on the YouTube channel for us to talk about uh, all the big Mortal Kombat news that came out of San Diego Comic Con. But that did indeed, you know, get me back really hardcore into mortal Kombat 11 this past week i was slowing down a little bit but then i was gonna san say diego you never came...
3: left <laughs> <laughs> i was slowing down a little bit slowing down
1: but you know there's every time i try to get out they keep pulling me yeah, back, pulling in, like back a, in like a scorpion spear on my back get over yeah. here yeah but you know with all the news that came out of san diego comic con and knowing that we're going into evo that just reignited so i've been playing a lot more mortal Kombat 11 of course i've just hundreds and hundreds of matches and you know what i'm right here let me just give you guys a quick update just oh, a very God. quick update this
0: just needs to be a segment each week on the show at this point i'm honestly
1: it's... surprised i'm only at
0: 130
1: hours very surprised that is surprising I'm only only, yeah. only 130 hours i'm very surprised about that uh well <laughs> i guess it shouldn't be too surprising i've actively, no joke, I've actively been playing like six games this week. It's been absolutely nuts this week. Uh, In addition to Mortal Kombat 11, uh, I've also been actively still playing the new AEW Fight Forever. There's still a lot of stuff for me to do in that game, and I'm having a ton of fun as janky as it can certainly be. But I'm still <laughs> enjoying. I'm still enjoying myself so so much. It's been so long since a game like a wrestling game like this has been out that uh, the, the jank is almost quaint at this point. It, it's almost something. It's almost comfortable when you see it. I'm not going to, you know, discount the jank, but, you know, it's it's almost like, you know, how you love somebody even with their flaws. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so I've been playing that. I've been continuing to play Pinball FX, but there's been three big games on my palette for this week, and... The first one I'm going to talk about is Chocobo GP, which we talked about a little bit last week, because recently Square Enix completely re-released the game sans microtransactions. And I want to go ahead and point you guys to our YouTube channel again, because I actually did a video on it. Whoa! Yeah, you
0: did. You've been banging out those videos over there this week. Got two videos on the channel this week.
1: Yes, and I'll talk Mm -hmm. about the other one here in just a second. But yeah, go ahead and check out the brand new gameplay video I posted of Chocobo GP. I went ahead and basically just gave you guys a full tour of the brand new version of the game. You get a full house tour of what Chocobo GP looks like in 2023. Uh, Spoiler alert, it looks quite a bit different from when, from the days of season passes and microtransactions and, and everything like that. So if it was a game that you were interested in, but the pay model turned you off, I urge you to take a look at the video I did because I did it for exactly that reason, because of how much, because of how much the package has changed. It's definitely worth at least taking a look at what it has to offer now, in my opinion. So go ahead and check out the brand new video up now on the all in media YouTube channel. Make sure to like, subscribe and heart a few things while you're there. BT dubs. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, Seth, uh, do you have a moment to talk about our Lord and Savior, Patrick's Parabox?
0: (laughs) Yeah, you've been loving this, man. I, I, I have heard some good things from you. So Patrick's Parabox is another video that I posted to our YouTube
1: channel. I'm going to point you to the YouTube channel for a third time. That is another video that I posted to our YouTube channel this week. For anybody who's been listening to the show, we've talked about this game a couple times. As a matter of fact, had Patrick Trainer, the man behind the game, we had him on the show a little while back to talk Mm -hmm. about this incredibly mind-bendy puzzle game. And I have been stoked. It's come out and genuinely... It's met my expectations. And my expectations were for it to become one of my favorite puzzle games ever. And it's met those. Which, if you're doing the math right now, yes, ladies and gentlemen, I'm already prepared to say it's one of my favorite puzzle games of all time. It is incredible. It is absolutely amazing. Uh, I had a real fear that I was not going to that I was going to be too dumb, too much dumb, too big dumb. That's my this fear. game. Yeah. One of the best things about the game is like the, the way it teaches you its language, the way it teaches mm-hmm. you to navigate it slowly kind of introducing you is, is absolutely genius. The, the way it slowly weans you in to 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 talking like it and thinking like it wants you to is fantastic. Some of the best teaching you the mechanics I've ever seen in a game. And this is completely without text or dialogue or anything. It starts off with a, hey, you know, push this box around. Oh, hey, now push this box around with this really interesting twist. And it slowly and surely descends into absolute insanity and madness. Uh... I only played the game, I, the, the video I post was only about 15 minutes long, but we already got to within like box, within a box, within a box, within a box, <laughs> within, a box within a box. And that's yeah. not hyperbole. Like we actually went like five layers deep at one point toward the end of that video. And all I'm saying is if that interested you, the game very quickly after that video ends goes even further off the rails than you can Possibly imagine. I'm not even kidding. It is insane and cool, and honestly, even just the the simple act of traversal even feels more than just you know some stilted you know control scheme. Just a little bit of animation that the the character that you're playing has this little pink purplish little box character with two eyes, and just the just the personality. With the undulations of the colors of the background and the, the smooth but atmospheric jazz and, and weird kind of industrial music going on in the background as well. Just everything comes together in an incredible fashion. It's not a game that is meant to be a spectacle. Uh, but it is just in terms of a pure puzzle experience. Like I said, I'm already comfortable calling it one of my favorite puzzle games of all time. It is absolutely a must-buy if you are a fan of puzzle games. Patrick's Parabox, 1999, it's on the eShop right now, comes highly, highly recommended. It's going to be a firm contender come Golden Aces season.
0: Nice. I I don't know if we said or not, we did get a copy of it from the publisher. So thanks to Draknek for, for providing us a copy of it.
3: Yeah. Yes. Thank you to
1: Draknek and friends. Very, very excited to get that and to be able to check that out prior to its release. I was like a giddy little (laughs) schoolboy.
0: Yeah, man. That's awesome. I need to give it a shot. I need need to give it a try. I'm intimidated by it. I'm scared of it.
1: I, I completely understand. I completely understand. But I urge you. To try it and see how far you get. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know how far it is into the game. I'm like six or seven worlds in, and I'm still getting them. I, I haven't found one that's made me bang my head against a wall for an hour.
0: Okay. All right.
1: It's, it's very easy. Uh, one thing, couple things that the game does incredibly well is you can. There are fail states. So you can move boxes into uh, a mode that makes the the puzzle impossible to solve. But when you do that, it's typically pretty easy to realize if you've done something like that. The game has a reset and it's just an instant one frame reset of the puzzle. And none of the puzzles that I've seen yet are complicated enough to where just quickly resetting it. Like if you were going to speed run the game, the individual puzzles will probably just take you a couple seconds a piece. Mm-hmm. They are incredibly well designed because once you learn it, you can probably do everything within a few seconds. So just simply there's an undo button, a redo button. There's a one frame reset. So it's incredibly, incredibly snappy going through this game. Uh, so that's also a huge, huge boon to how good it feels to play so yeah i i I honestly can't say enough good things about it. You definitely ought to check it out, but I would love to hear your thoughts on patrick's para box,
0: yeah, I'm gonna have to check it out yeah it's it's one of those things man i um i've I've been scared of it, but hey we we got it, and uh i'm you know hearing hearing all the the praise you've been heaping onto it uh definitely makes me makes me interested
1: for sure yes, but of course, but of course, my main game. This week, as if the other five weren't enough, my main game this week has, of course, been Nintendo's brand new release, Pikmin 4. Yeah. Yeah. So that happened, and we are currently, both Seth and I, are currently playing through it. As a matter of fact, you shared a couple of your thoughts this past week on Carpool Gaming, but we are going to have our own
0: all-in review of this game now... soon? It'll be soon. Yeah, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll we'll talk about it. We'll get there. It's uh, you know, the the th- I'm like 15 hours into the game and um I have still like I'm still working on like 100%ing the third like yeah. area. Yep, yep, yep. So, it's a meaty game. I I don't know, like it's it's the kind of game where like you you get out what you put in. It's one of those things you could rush through it pretty quickly. I was streaming it the other night. Um yeah and uh, john ebo was was in the chat and i asked him how long it took him to roll credits and he was like yeah i rolled credits in like 15 hours i'm like well i'm already there and i'm yeah. still on the third you know third area so um it seems like if you <laughs> want to like 100 just that it,
1: one more day cycle mentality man just one more yeah. day cycle Ugh. yeah it's, the no, way they deal with it. time in that game it makes it so easy to not stop playing
0: yeah, I, I've been I've been totally addicted to it. I I love this is the first Pikmin game that I've loved, and um yeah, like we'll we'll have a nice like meaty review discussion and and really get into the weeds on it. But man, it's just like it's everything that I wanted from it. Like it, it is everything that I wanted from Pikmin. I think it's going to be easily the like easily the highest selling game in the franchise. I don't think there's even a question of that happening at this point. Um, I, I think that the quality of life improvements they made to it, the sort of like removal of a lot of the stress, like the stuff that I felt like has put a barrier between Pikmin and I, um, just totally works for me that like, this is the, I'm like all about this one in a way that I feel like I've never really been with Pikmin before.
1: That's interesting. So. That's really interesting. I've, if I was going to say something, I would have actually wished for a couple more, slightly more intense encounters a couple more and not, that's not necessarily saying like challenging or anything, but something that breaks up, you know, I'm not saying that the loop is, is uh unsatisfying, but you know, a little bit of a distraction from, uh, from some of the other stuff going on.
0: Yeah. I could see, like, I, I think that people who, who are like hardcore Pikmin mm-hmm. fans would find this one easy Um, and I think that like, and all, I mean, that's not to say like, I, there have been plenty of, like the game still has some teeth to it. Like I, uh, I've had a couple of situations, especially in boss fights. Like there, dude, I, there was a boss that I fought in one of the caves that just like, I, I didn't even know like what the optimal strategy was. I never figured it out. He would just like, it was two of them and they would just like lick up like half of my Pikmin and they would just instantly kill them. It's like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> so, um, so that I had to rewind time a couple of times on that one, um, which is a nice, Oh my God, feature. I
1: completely forgot that that's even in.
0: No. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, oh, I've, I've, I haven't I've, had to use I've it. I
1: completely it. forgot. That's a thing.
0: Oh, I've done it like a few times now. So it's, uh, you know, it still has some teeth. I don't think it's as like scary in general, um as as the other pikmin games but there's still you know there's still some some fear in there but like the just the in, the environments are incredible yeah. like the the the, yeah, they are. This, the stuff that i come to pikmin for is more that like what i've always liked about pikmin is like yeah vibes and like the the environments and like the the little like puzzle solving and collection and like if you're somebody who likes to collect things like yeah. i think that pikmin 4 is for you this one kind of removes the survival element more or less but it replaces it with a heavy emphasis on collection which is very much my jam. Mm,
1: so and uh I I I do very much like me some Ochi. Yeah, Ochi's really good. Yeah. Good
0: boy. Yeah, good boy. I don't know. well well like I said, we'll we'll have a much more deep conversation about Pikmin in the near future but man uh, Oh yes. That's like, that's been my, my bread and butter this week. I I am loving this game. I'm probably going to wind up streaming it at least once more. It's a great stream game. It's a fun game to stream. So yeah,
1: I'm, I'm very much looking forward to talking about those Dandori battles. So, but, uh, if you had time to play anything but Pikmin 4 this week.
0: I did put up a video on the channel myself for a game called Super Intern Story, um, which came out this week as well. Uh, this is one that was actually really nice. Shout outs to the developer, Blue Noise Games. Um, I played their Steam Next Fest demo like a while ago. It must've been a year and a half ago or something like that. And, uh, they remembered it. Like they, they basically reached back out now that the game is like coming out for realsies. And uh, and they were like, hey, you remember Super Intern story that you played during Steam Next Fest? Well, it's coming out, and we would love to give you a code. And I was like, Oh my god, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. So they sent along a code, and I played uh, the the sort of final version of the game, and it's a really neat um little like it, it's interesting. It's it's kind of a management sim, but it's also this like kind of funny, like bad guy simulator, essentially. You work for <laughs> This, like, video game bad guy, like, bureaucratic... Like business effectively, and you have to plot out the um, you you basically have to make the best experience for the hero possible. So, you have like this stash that you have to pull out coins and hearts and like drops for the hero and like kind of decorate the stage with them before the hero shows up. You have to, you know, let the hero kill you, like put up a fight, but don't actually kill the hero, let the hero kill you, and then drop a heart for him, you know, and, and stuff like this. And the game. Very quickly starts to like twist that, you know, um, a little bit, take that concept and like do some really interesting things. The, the second stage, um, the second sort of scenario has you um, uh, not necessarily like contending with heroes that you're trying to please, but you're trying to showcase this level for an investor. Who is coming through and experimenting with it? The problem is, is that the elements of the level you don't have enough of them to properly showcase the level. So you're basically scrambling around and quickly like grabbing implements and like shifting them around, like oh, like <laughs> before he gets over here, let me put this here, so it looks like everything's in place. You know, I was like, wow, uh, this, yeah, looks this is great. so similar to the thing that was over there. Yeah, wow, I love the consistency, <laughs> and it's also. Um, that level in particular is funny because it's, um, it's set up like this kind of, uh, like ancient Egyptian temple sort of level. So this, this dude is like, his name's Mr. Baloney for some reason. Um, (laughs) and he's walking through the level just nonchalantly, but you also have to protect him because he's just casually like, you know, springing traps and like he'll accidentally hurt himself and stuff. So um, we're there's we're a lot still of, like, talking about the same game, right? It, yeah, same game. <laughs> same game. There's there's a lot going on, and this is just in the first like 30 minutes of the game. Like there's there's a lot of different things going on here. It is a very neat concept. Runs great on Switch. It's got a really simplistic but totally effective like art style. It's funny. Um, yeah, I like it quite a bit. Super Intern Story. It's a neat idea, man. I've never. You know we've played games where you where you play as the bad guy before. We've you know something like Wonderling comes to mind, right? Um, <laughs> but even that is like is like totally different from this. This, in a way, it's it reminds me of like a more involved Takeshi and Hiroshi or something, like where in Takeshi and Hiroshi, you're having to like place these enemies and stuff and create like, you know, rewarding scenarios for your sick little brother to play through in your game. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of what you're doing here, but you're actually like moving around and you're more actively involved in the process. So yeah, it becomes this like puzzle management sim sort of thing with a very funny, like dry sense of humor. And um, yeah, it's good. It's good. I like it a lot. Super intern
1: story. I love indie games.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Just, just what a neat idea. What a neat original idea. I've never played anything like it.
1: Uh, I mean, so I got so much. I'm gonna have to check that out. But I got so much to play. Speaking of Wonderland, I actually just got in my newest uh, premium edition games. I got Raji and Ancient Epic, nice. the physical for that. I've been waiting for that for a long time. I also picked up They Bleed Pixels, so got another couple games to to attempt to fit in somewhere somehow. But yeah, uh, oi yep.
0: They don't stop coming, man. Why does that? Th- why does that remind me of Smash Mouth? Oh yeah. Yeah, those, <laughs> the, the years stop coming and they don't stop coming. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's pretty much all I've been up to this week, Eric. We've got um, our excavation mission that uh, yes. that we have to begin this week. There's a couple of GameCube franchises that celebrated some anniversaries this week, which perked our ears up. Of course, you know we're talking about Pikmin, which which like recently sort of returned GameCube centric franchise. Um, you know, started on the GameCube, but. Uh, F Zero GX celebrated an anniversary this week. Mario Golf Toadstool Tour celebrated an yeah. anniversary this week. Many um would, many would say it's the best Mario Golf game. Yeah, and it it was funny because it sort of like put us in this headspace of of like thinking about franchises that actually sort of ended on the GameCube, franchises that we have not seen since the GameCube, franchises that have been left in the GameCube graveyard, and we have not seen hide nor hair of them since. And so we thought for a very interesting top five this week, we would count down the top five franchises that were left behind in the era of the GameCube. Alright Eric, the top 5 franchises that died sadly on the Nintendo GameCube, what are the rules? Well, for
1: this, we did want to give ourselves some left and right limits. So for this list, we are only going to be talking about games that are part of franchises. One game does not make a franchise, so you will not be silly uh, you will not be seeing Billy Hatcher on this list. You will not be seeing Gauntlet or I'm sorry, you will not be seen, um, uh Beyond Good and Evil on this list. So it is games that, you know, you have to have more than one game to be a franchise. And we're specifically talking about games uh, and franchises that did die on the GameCube. If they have appeared since on another console, we also uh, disqualified them. That's where... Gauntlet Dark Legacy comes in, because we did wind up getting Gauntlet Seven Sorrows, although I think a lot of people would like to forget that.
0: But... <laughs> and F-Zero also... And like F-Zero, technically, because... Beautiful Joe.
1: Yeah, yeah, Beautiful Joe got that DS game, double F-Zero. A lot of people don't even remember, F-Zero did have one final game after the GameCube that was, of course, on the Game Boy Advance... So we also disqualified it for that, but we would also love to see both of those franchises return BT dubs. But of course, just in case you don't see your favorite game mentioned, that's probably why.
0: Yeah, we, we did extensive research we, we did on this one. And and look, in spite of all of that, by the end of this list, tell me that you were not mind-blown at some of the heavy hitter franchises, both Nintendo, First Party, and Third that have not returned that died on the GameCube that are still at rest in the GameCube graveyard it's uh, sad it is <laughs>
1: so let's let's go ahead and start listing off the dearly departed our number 5 is wave race the wave race ah. franchise uh the wave uh, the wave race you know what i never realized how hard it is to say wave race that is
0: it is a tough one
1: like yeah, several times similar. in succession right yes yeah wave race wave race wave race wave race blue storm was the last installment in the beloved franchise peaking of course with the n64 launch title wave race 64 which is currently available on the nintendo 64 app as part of the n uh nintendo switch online expansion pack so if you need to get your wave race fix in there is a game available on the nintendo switch but that doesn't count for this list. We're talking about actual follow-up installments, and there actually hasn't been one since the Little Purple Lunchbox, which really surprises me because, again, this was a launch title for the Nintendo 64. This is a franchise that had a lot of momentum going into the late 90s and early 2000s. And just in terms of You know, racing games, there really is nothing like Wave Race, especially on Nintendo consoles. You could argue that Jet Moto was similar, but, you know, in a world of, you know, burnouts and in a world of Forzas and Gran Turismo's and uh, MX versus GPs and all these other games, Wave Race stood out and it was so fresh and the arcade feeling was perfect. Like, honestly... Hydro Thunder is kind of the only thing that I would liken it to, but I don't know when I put Hydro Thunder and Wave Race up next to each other. I think I prefer Wave Race.
0: Yeah. I I love Wave Race. And I'll say too, I think, I think that there is a non-zero chance of Wave Race coming back. I do think that might come back someday. Uh, Shinya Takahashi, who who now has a lot of pull at Nintendo. Mm -hmm. You see him all basically every Nintendo direct. Um, I, I he specifically has said as recently as 2018 that he wants to bring wave race to the Nintendo switch and like say a a new,
1: 2018's not that recent unfortunately
0: I guess that's true yeah I guess that was five years ago but still God, like very that
1: that hurts just to
0: hear. there's there's an appetite and they they also renewed the trademark in 2016 they clearly figured out whatever weirdness they had with Kawasaki which is why we got it yeah on the n64 yep, 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 yep. good point and, like in Wave Race, like this is a storied Nintendo franchise that like that original Game Boy Wave Race came out in nineteen ninety two. That's over yep. thirty years ago. You know, so like this this franchise is is pretty you know, and it's it's always been well reviewed, it's beloved by fans. I think that and you know, there's um the, the Fast RMX developers, Sheen, and like actively they're like, Yo, Nintendo, let us make a wave race, we'll do it. And nothing would make me happier than that if is Nintendo so let them good. Make a wave race game. Oh my God. That'd be so good. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I like, I don't want to put any like weird juju out there, but there's a part of me that thinks that maybe someday we'll, we'll get another one. Hey man, I'm here for for it.
1: I'm here for it. There's not nearly enough of, you know, I'm always talking about arcade sports games and how I want more arcade sports games. And I do put my money where my mouth is when they come out, I get them and I play them. But like Hydro Thunder and Wave Race and, you know, the few games out there that felt like this, like this, they don't exist anymore. There's there's got to be an audience for these that somebody could tap into it it really surprises me that you don't even see this on the indie scene which has become kind of the havens for the haven for spiritual successors i mean yeah. yes you know we talk about shin in and fast rmx like fast rmx still feels very different from what rave race is i would still oh, love that's up
0: 0 or yeah, F-Zero. That's an f-zero game
1: yeah yeah yeah, it still feels completely different from what Wave Race is. I would still like for them to take over it because there are still parallels there. But mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yes, please.
0: Yeah, for sure. Bring back Wave Race. L- would love to see it. It's a shame that it's uh, that it died on the GameCube. Revive it. Um, but... Going into our number 4 Eric. Now this is a situation. This is something that we that we came uh, up against a lot during our research and our deliberations for this top 5. A franchise that sort of spun off into something completely different, but because it did technically have a numbered second entry because it did technically have its own franchise. Yes, it spun off into something different, but it is in all technicalities still its own unique franchise our number four is x-men legends 2 which we have not seen since x-men legends franchise which we have not seen since x-men legends 2 rise of the apocalypse on the gamecube a great game that um again you could you could make the argument yeah it kind of spun off into marvel ultimate alliance but it's still its own thing and since it had two of them x-men legends is its own franchise it counts
1: (laughs) it does count yes uh And I would absolutely love to see it back. I'm a huge fan of Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Marvel Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 was actually a Switch exclusive, weirdly enough. Uh, And I played the mess out of it. There was a ton of DLC for it. I played all of it. I spent a ton of time in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. Uh, That game actually means a lot to me because of its connection to uh, a a friend of mine that passed away. But yes, Mm -hmm. I mean, X-Men Legends is like they're both Marvel based dungeon crawlers, but X-Men legends is definitely its own thing. And there are more than enough X-Men, even if you're just talking about the Jim Lee era, right? Even if you're just talking about the nineties era, I there's more than enough characters to, to can, to, to do an entire game to do an X-Men legends three easily. And it'd be a great way, a great way to try to introduce people to a new generation. The the characters that are in the comic books now, there's a lot of people that have no clue what's going on especially for for newer and younger readers who are coming in hoping to see a few familiar faces yes they're still running around but there's a lot of newer characters that would certainly benefit from a high profile video game appearance and that's something that x-men legends 3 could absolutely take care of and it's been more than enough time since marvel ultimate alliance 3 came out that marvel could release another dungeon crawling rpg like that uh it was it It was so, so good, especially when it came out. I mean, obviously it was good. They spun it off into a franchise that encapsulated the entire Marvel Universe. But, you know, take it back to a slightly more intimate setting. The X-Men are more than capable to carry a game franchise by themselves, as has been proven many times before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I and I love like, you know, like having <laughs> having the, the X-Men are all like already that they're the outcasts, They're kind of weird and stuff like that. But yeah. they're like they're taking because this is focused like squarely on the X-Men and their little world. You're fighting dumb characters like Grizzly and Sugar Man, you know, and like like just these like very obscure D-lister, you know, sort of like I love that. I love like the sort of you know, getting into the weird history of X-Men specifically. You know, I, I, I like that. Also shout outs to, if Danielina Hosa is listening to this, to this episode, hi, Dan, he, this is one <laughs> of his favorite games of all time. So shout outs to Dan.
1: Yeah. So. X-Men Legends 2 Rise of Apocalypse is so, so good. So, so good. Please come back. All right. But going into our number three, I mean, I mean, Our number three is Capcom versus SNK. I mean, I mean, this is all you man. I mean, this this had to be on there,
0: had to be on there. This is like one of your all time favorites.
1: You guys know how much I love fighting games. Capcom versus SNK two is my favorite fighting game of all time. Like full stop. It's my number one. It is my favorite fighting game of all time. And it blows my mind. That Capcom and SNK have not continued a mutually beneficial partnership, especially in the early 2000s when SNK started running into a lot of financial trouble. They wound up merging with Playmore, so you know uh, a lot of the SNK games that came out in the mid and late 2000s were under the SNK Playmore banner. Uh, like I don't know what was going on with their financials and why they chose to distance themselves from Capcom. But they made several amazing titles together. Mostly Capcom made them. Uh, I do want to add a couple quick caveats to this. The Capcom versus SNK games are distinct from SVC Chaos, which was on the Xbox. It is distinct from... Uh, S&K versus Capcom Match of the Millennium, which was on the uh, the Neo Geo Pocket Color, and it is also distinct from the couple card game battlers that were also on the Neo Geo Pocket Color, all of which are actually available on the Switch now, oddly enough. Uh, but yes, the two Capcom versus S&K specific Capcom versus S&K fighting games made by Capcom are two of the most well-regarded fighters ever made. And like I said, number two is my favorite fighting game of all time. There have been whispers over the past few years that maybe something is happening. We have actually gotten a Capcom and an SNK character in a game together. It took Sakurai to do it, but we have Ryu and Ken and Terry Bogard in Smash Brothers Ultimate together. So I guess maybe we had to disqualify that because that's technically a Capcom versus SNK game now. Smash Brothers ultimate is. So mm. but but I desperately want a new Capcom versus SNK game if the second one is any indication about the quality and the magic that these two companies can create when they come together. Oh my lord, just just the the King of Fighters and the Samurai Showdown and uh, you know, Street Fighter and Darkstalkers especially over the past 22 years since that game has come out, what those two companies have done and how much they have both built and what Capcom versus SNK3 could potentially look like right now is just drool inducing. SNK is doing much better now. King of Fighters 15 is on fire so much so that they've like they've already got several other projects off the ground. They fully supported several seasons worth of Samurai Showdown, which was also fantastic. We've got a brand new Galro uh, game in the works from SNK. So, you know, with this this massive resurgence of SNK, I would love to see them finally pull a trigger on a renewed partnership with Capcom. I mean, I would be the first one to be like Rafiki at Evo and be like the king has returned.
0: (laughs) Nice. What, what Eric said (laughs) co-signed. I don't, this is one of those. I know it's legendary. Um, and, and I know how much it means to you. So like, it's one of those things, man, it had to be on the list.
1: Yeah. Within the FGC, within the fighting game community, uh, specifically Capcom versus SNK two is, it's just, it's, it's goaded. That like that's just the word for it. It's goaded.
0: hmm Yeah, for sure. Well, Eric, going into our number two, again, like I just looking at this list, these megaton franchises that we have not seen since the GameCube, um, our number two is Rogue Squadron. And like Rogue Squadron and GameCube, like people forget how important Rogue Squadron 2 in particular was like, that's a GameCube launch title, an important GameCube exclusive. Rogue Squadron 2 and 3, both GameCube exclusives. Um, And these were massive, massive gets for Nintendo in this sort of era. And it's crazy that like this franchise has never really come back in any meaningful way.
1: The closest we've got is the spaceship battle in Lego Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> you, you can yeah. kind of feel the fingerprints of Rogue Squadron on it, which is to say the spaceship battles in Star uh, Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga are some of my favorite parts of the game. I, it's not, Rogue Squadron is not a a very deep, it's not a super complicated game. It's just an incredibly satisfying dogfight style arcade style game that just happens to have the IP of one of the most universally beloved universes slapped all over it. It was it was one of the best advertisements for the GameCube. I still remember, still have very vivid memories of this day of seeing all the GameCube stations set up at all the Babbage's and the GameStops and the EB's and everywhere that sold Best Buys and Targets. And they all had a GameCube set up and they all had Rogue Squadron playing. I probably played the the, the box demo setup version of that game a hundred times and it never stopped being fun. It never oh, yeah. stopped being fun. It's so, so good. And how, how, mind blown was I to figure out, oh, that's not the whole game. Oh, there's more.
3: Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, we uh we rented that game a lot uh when it came out and uh and finally I I ended up I never bought Rogue Squadron 2. I bought Rogue Squadron 3 though. So like I said, we rented 2 uh over and over and over again. Now they they did put out uh Star Wars Squadrons like a few years ago, but it is a very different. It's it it's very clearly like trying like it's kind of winking and nodding in Rogue Squadron's direction, but it's very different. It's not it doesn't even come close to that legacy. So it's the kind of thing, man, like that, that team two factor five, like completely disintegrated effectively after rogue squadron three, they made the, uh, the hit PS three launch title Lair. That oh was, my God. That know, was them with the six axis them. controller and the weird. Yeah. Yeah. The, the game that was so bad, it effectively killed the studio. Um, they're they're still around. They uh, you know, they're they're still kicking with like a skeleton crew, but they have not released a new game since Lair on the PS3. So uh, I have to imagine that if you know if if we had some more time with them, we would have maybe had some more Rogue Squadron games. But it's it's a shame, man. It's a shame that that series has been left behind on the GameCube. A classic. GameCube franchise and like those games are so good that it will forever tether the Star Wars license to Nintendo in my mind. We did a top five uh back in May for Star Wars Day, like the top five Star Wars Nintendo games. I think Rogue Squadron 2 was number one.
3: I on think that it list. was.
1: I mean, there's yeah. been some legendary Star Wars games on Nintendo franchises. Uh gamers of a certain age will of course remember fondly or angrily the Super Star Wars trilogy that was on the Super Nintendo. I love Uh, those games. Yeah. Yeah. And even stuff like uh, 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 Empire Strikes Back on the NES. And yeah, man, there's been a long and storied history with Star Wars on Nintendo Mm -hmm. consoles. We've already talked about Lego Skywalker Saga that just came out last year as well. Uh, But like to this day, arguably this franchise the Rogue Squadron. I think the third one was called what? Rebel Strike? Rogue Squadron 3? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It astounds me that after such critical reception, after consi- like, I-, I know the studio folded, but somebody could have easily picked up the reins. Somebody hire those people and just keep it going.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But Eric, before we reveal our number one pick, do we have some honorable mentions?
1: You know what? We do. And honestly, they just depress me looking at them, frankly. So we're (laughs) going to go through these fairly quickly. Um, Sonic Adventure may seem like a weird pick, but there was Sonic Adventure and there was Sonic Adventure 2. Sega clearly distinguishes these two games as their own separate thing. So that's what we're doing as well. Sonic Adventure 2 Battle came out on the Nintendo GameCube and there was much rejoicing and they decided to do weird things with Sonic forevermore after that. We've gotten some good stuff in and amongst the weirdness. Uh, Sonic Frontiers that came out last year, we thought was a pretty solid game. We're looking forward to Sonic Superstars this year, but there hasn't been a proper Sonic Adventure game in forever. Seth, I need to hear Escape from the City.
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm not like the hugest Sonic Adventure fan, but it's a beloved you know, little, little series. And I think a lot of people were introduced, like people who are younger than us were introduced to Sonic via Sonic adventure. Yeah. You know? So I think it means that a lot, to a lot section of people from the first game is iconic, man. Yeah, of course. Of course. So I, I don't want to take anything away from from Sonic Adventure for sure. Uh, I want to shout out the Kuterin series, which, yes. uh, you know, I, I love that series, but uh, we haven't seen a new one. The GameCube had the first like kind of 3D entry and uh, we haven't seen a new one since. We only just started getting them here in America in a, in a real way. So, uh, yeah, that that also sort of died on GameCube, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, but you can play Kudu Kudu Kudurin on your Game Boy Advance
3: yep.
1: uh, NSO app if you have the expansion pack. So uh, if you want to hear what Seth is talking about, you can actually play the Game Boy Advance. Kudu, it's Kudu is very yep. good, is very good. In addition to that, uh, Seth, I will plug your ears because I know this one's going to upset
0: you specifically. But uh, Tony Hawk's Underground. yeah. Yeah, good old Tony Hawk's Underground, which did. This is another one. I understand that like American Wasteland, Project 8, basically all of those like, you know, Proving Ground, they all kind of followed the thug blueprint. But Tony Hawk's Underground 1 and 2 uh, are technically their own little franchise that we have not seen since the GameCube.
1: Yes, they are their own little specific micro continuity within the tony hawk multiverse that we were getting back in the mid 2000s but it would have been wonderful to see a proper thug three uh we did get three entries in this next franchise but that was it
0: donkey conga mm-hmm. yeah donkey conga those uh <laughs> those bongo drums man Shout
1: out to I, the bongo drums. I love those bongo drums. We always had a set of Donkey Konga bongos in my game exchange when I ran it. Always had a set of Donkey Konga bongos. I love that. That was, I, I played, I got to, I almost got to Donkey Konga 3 without realizing that you could just clap. I was always slapping the side of the congas.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, there's there's a couple little things you could do. The three is Japan only. We didn't even get three here, which that sucks. And then like the you know the the first two, it's like man, like what I would have liked to see that series continue. It makes perfect sense to have like to to especially now like we've got the Joy-Con. The I mean those those uh bongos you could still just plug them in. You know, like you could use the GameCube adapter or whatever, just plug them into the Switch even. That'd be great. I'd be all over like the that. the Switch doesn't have a USB port if you still yeah. really,
1: I would still honestly want to use like a proper set of bongos, but yeah, we've got USB ports all over the Nintendo Switch. I'd be down 100% down. I mean, if we can get stuff like Samba Amigo on the Nintendo Switch in 2023, we can get Donkey Konga.
0: Yeah, and it, and it spun off into, like, Jungle Beat, which also, like, got a port on the Wii. But, you know, even that, like, it it, it would still be considered a separate franchise. So, yeah, shoutouts to Donkey Konga. R.I.P. Yeah, <laughs> R.I.P. And Pokemon Coliseum. Huge. That's a massive, like, Stadium, Stadium 2, Coliseum, XD, Gale of Darkness, all kind of, like, in that same kind of uh, like sub series of Pokemon and we haven't even really seen anything similar to it like yeah we have like PokeN tournament and stuff but it's not in this same vein as the as the Coliseum games
1: well as we've gotten to generations eight and nine that are just on console now you can probably see why Pokemon why the Pokemon company does kind of gone yeah they don't necessarily <laughs> feel like they need to do something like that Uh, But still, yeah, the before we got to generations eight and nine, Coliseum really was like the best way to play to play Pokemon battles on console for many, many years.
0: Yeah, Uh, I know nothing about this. I've never played it, but it came up in research. So shout outs to NBA (laughs) Courtside, which (laughs) I've never played it. Yeah, but I thought it was really funny that Kobe Bryant got his own series called nba courtside that had three entries and ended on the gamecube with nba courtside 2002 so shout outs (laughs) shout outs to that i guess
1: (laughs) and we also had to disqualify it on a technicality but i'm just going to very quickly shout out the legacy of game franchise i would love to see it come back in some way but i would too Technically, disqualify that from it's. A, from that's a weird one.
0: It's a weird yeah, it one because the, the the Last Legacy of Kane game was on like Xbox and stuff. So it, it's it's a it's a weird one. Also, shout outs to 1080 Snowboarding, which uh yeah. which also the 1080 Avalanche was the last one released that was on GameCube. Haven't seen that since. That's a Nintendo made, you know, Nintendo published sports game, and we you ne- haven't seen anything. Wave
1: raised 1080. Um, yeah, I don't know. But going into our number one, you know, we we're speaking of weird. Let's we'll talk about legacy of Kane being weird, speaking of weird, our number one is a a legendary series that only managed two installments, but even then you still decades later have people pining for its return. Our number one is time splitters,
0: yeah, I've never played this. I've never played any of the really? time splitter games is a huge gap. In my gaming history and uh i I know that people love this. I know how legendary and well regarded it is and uh they were working on a fourth entry, got cancelled uh free radical I don't even think is like around anymore, so yeah no they were
1: renamed. like they were brought up by Crytech, and I think they wound up getting dissolved in the the mid twenty tens or something but yeah. yes uh. Time Splitters and Time Splitters 2 released, both released back on the GameCube from a company called Free Radical that was made up of people who left rareware. And Time Splitters was a first person shooter. And for those who were already connecting the dots, yes, this is a lot of the same people who brought us GoldenEye 007 and Perfect Dark. You could very easily consider Perfect Dark kind of a spiritual successor to GoldenEye and. By extension, you could also really consider Time Splitters a spiritual successor to Perfect Dark. And if that perks your ears up, it should, because, like, especially because of the focus on multiplayer, the, the story and the game itself is absolutely bonkers. Uh, but one of the biggest things about the game was just like Perfect Dark and GoldenEye before it. Like the main draw really was just this get a pizza and some Mountain Dew, four controllers. I mean, the Nintendo GameCube naturally had four controller ports on it, which helped. But you get everybody sitting around a TV on a Friday night and, you know, just playing this game that was, oh my, it was, it had like all the charm of those 1990s rare games like Banjo, like Conquer uh it had all the charm of the visuals but it was like that meeting counter strike it you had like elvis impersonators shooting off gingerbread man heads you had lasers and shotguns and it was absolutely bonkers one of the most pure fun stupid enjoyable crazy multiplayer modes i've ever played in an fps uh, it was it was so so much fun so so much fun it really stinks that uh, Free Radical is no longer around I don't even know who holds the IP to Time Splitters but I would absolutely love to see they could honestly just re-release Time Splitters with updated online netcode just re-release Time Splitters too and I'm sure that alone would sell a couple million copies.
0: Yeah, I, I think I honestly think that this has a, a decent, you know, chance of it, um, because they are apparently the IP is owned by Deep Silver, um, and Deep Silver is is like a I think a subsidiary of THQ Nordic, who is no stranger to, you know, re releasing stuff of this era. No, they um, are not. And apparently they expressed interest as as recent as twenty twenty one in making a new time splitters game, so here's hoping
1: uh well, i mean t h q Nordic just gave us a e w fight forever, so
0: you please, yeah well, i mean look they're they're bringing back like the old like spongebob you know yep. games in this era and stuff, yep. so yeah, they they can do it. So that that'd be kind of neat to see. Maybe, and that's maybe that's the the tact that they'll take. Like they'll re-release the old ones, take the temperature of like how well that does, and then make a new one. That'd be neat. That'd be cool to see. That would be uh, cool to cool. see. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's uh, yeah, let's run down our list one more time, my friend. Yes, number five, we have the
1: Wave Race franchise that ended with Wave Race Blue Storm on the GameCube.
0: Our number four was X-Men Legends, that franchise that ended with X-Men Legends 2 Rise of Apocalypse on the GameCube.
1: (laughs) Our number three, the Capcom versus SNK series, which ended with the, well, the GameCube version was called Capcom versus SNK2 EO.
0: Yeah. And our number two was, of course, the Rogue Squadron franchise, which ended with uh, Rogue Squadron 3 Rebel Strike on the GameCube.
1: And then, of course, number one, the Time Splitter series, uh, unfortunately ending with Time Splitters Two on the Nintendo GameCube.
0: Was it? it's like Future Perfect or whatever is the third one, right? Isn't that the that's the most recent one I think on the GameCube? Time Splitters Future Perfect. That's what that's what uh, Wikipedia told me. So yeah, Time Splitters Future Perfect on the GameCube was the most oh, recent. Oh yeah,
1: yeah 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 yeah. I apologize. Yeah. I apologize.
0: Yeah. That's what we got, folks. That's uh, let us know if there are anything that, that we missed. I I would be shocked if somebody comes in with something that meets our parameters that we missed. I would be shocked. We we researched very laboriously over this one, y'all. So as you can tell by my mistake just there. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay that's okay it happens uh cool well yeah let us know uh i would i would love to hear your thoughts on this but yet megaton franchises yeah. that we haven't seen since the i mean stuff like rogue squadron capcom and x-men like wave race time splitters legendary franchises that we've not seen since the gamecube
1: yeah And let us know if you'd like to see any of those come back. Let us know what your favorite games that you haven't been able to play since the GameCube are. Uh, Reach out to us on Facebook. Reach out to us on Twitter. You know, let us know your favorite games from Nintendo's Purple Lunchbox. But, I mean, honestly, Seth, we're getting arguably enough remakes and re-releases these days anyway sure for the sake of preservation for the sake of history it'd be really cool if we could make just all of these games available all the time uh but you know with so many remasters with so many re-releases with so many remakes with so many retools uh do we think maybe possibly potentially there's a problem going on at the big end
0: yeah it's it's an interesting conversation to have. We thought we would take a little bit of time and dedicate uh, a little bit of a discussion to Nintendo's potential remake remaster problem. Let's talk about it
1: so before we start getting into this, just right out the gate. Uh, I just <laughs> want to make it very clear we are not about to start levying accusations uh, of misconduct at, at- Nintendo and we are unapologetically very excited about many of the remakes coming, uh, soon, super excited about Baden Kados, super excited about super Mario RPG. You know, I'm of course, incredibly excited about the remake of star ocean. Mm -hmm. Uh, but with like all of these remakes coming through the pipeline, it does bring up a couple interesting points about both how we got here and potentially even the future of the industry i think
0: yeah it's it's interesting cuz yeah it does sort of call into question like what um you know there are a lot of people who who do sort of disavow like the glut of remakes and re and it is a glut. Like there's a lot of them this, yeah. this year alone, we've already gotten several, some of the ones that you just shouted out are the ones to come, but like even, you know, remakes of stuff like the advanced, Metro Wars, prime. We that we Metro just prime. Got. Yeah, yeah. Like we've, we've gotten several of them like just this year, we're getting like, you know, multiple like definitive editions that are like coming out all the time. And it's, and yeah, like to your point, we we eat that stuff up like we we like that and it's great for preservation. Pikmin one and two just came over, you know. Like this kind of stuff is happening constantly and like it's it is good from many perspectives, from many many perspectives. One of my favorite gaming experiences of this year so far was re- like we love Katamari Reroll, like straight up. So yeah, don't take this to mean that like we are negative on this, but it is worth looking at like sort of all facets of it because there is like a negative connotation to it too in that like yeah when all you're doing is remaking and re-releasing like what are you taking away from original ideas? What like what breathing room are you removing from new IP, from new games, you know?
1: You know, it it's interesting to look at this because they're clearly not going to stop anytime soon. But taking a look at you know, just bringing up points and asking the questions at the very least could help give us a sense of where things are headed. Um, It may not paint the best picture, but at the very least, you know, I think it's a good discussion to have, especially if, you know, these talking points get to the right people. But yeah, to your point about taking time and resources away from more original IP. Uh, Nintendo is, you know, Nintendo does this a lot, but they're certainly not the only one. Uh, The biggest, I think, argument against this tsunami of remakes and re-releases that we've been seeing over the past couple of years is, of course, the fact that uh, it is stifling creativity and it's not really forcing publishers to be creative anymore. And we're not even just talking about sequels to established franchises. We're not even just talking about making older games available. We're talking about, you know, just going back to the drawing board and just building an older game from the ground up, rebuilding it from the ground up. Sure, you can add some new content, but functionally that game is going to be incredibly similar, if not, you know, the exact same to what it used to be. There's not really a lot of design there sure it takes a lot of time to make new art assets and the artists themselves that are working on a lot of these are ridiculously talented but from a mechanical design aspect there is very little new idea that is involved when it comes to all of these games and one of the biggest arguments against these is the fact that you know you're basically just allowing people to, to fall back on inside the box thinking and it stifles creativity and it creates an environment where new fresh ideas can't thrive the way that they might have used to.
0: Yeah. I think that we're seeing, I think that that is something that we're seeing across all forms of media. I think that everything is so expensive to make now that Everybody, video game, you know, developers and publishers included, uh, they've everybody's become extraordinarily risk averse. It is a lot; it's a much easier sell for somebody like Nintendo or you know whoever to say, "Hey, like, rather than spending a whole lot of money and you know, and and putting out a brand new game that's going to take all these." All the, all the, all these resources and development costs and stuff like this. Wouldn't it be a lot easier to just like put something else out that we, that we know everybody's gonna love? Wouldn't it be easier to, you know, put out a Super Mario RPG or something like that rather than a new riskier, for example, Paper Mario or something like that? Wouldn't it make more sense to just re release the old thing? And don't, again, we're excited and it's great for people who, you know, who have like never had the opportunity to play some of this stuff, especially uh, it's a great way to, to have those experiences for new players. And I think that's another reason why they do it is because they kind of come out smelling like a rose, like at the end of this, it's kind of like it's almost a victimless crime in their eyes In their eyes. It's like, Hey, like we're yeah, preservation. And yeah, like people are getting the chance to experience this for the first time, but really it's kind of like, it's, it's also the, the biggest benefit from their perspective is it's also kind of an easy buck. And, um, and I think that the more expensive games become the less risks people are gonna take I think it's just the the beginning of it and this is not just in video games this is in movies too. The reason everybody's latching on to like Barbie and Oppenheimer is because finally there's an original idea out there
3: <laughs>
1: you know <laughs> well when it comes to video game budgets video game budgets have very famously ballooned uh you know, beyond hundreds of millions of dollars. In many cases, AAA video games cost more than most AAA movies being made today. The amount of money that a AAA publisher or developer has to sink in to get the absolute best graphics, to get the absolute most power from every frame that they're putting out because, you know, we see it all the time on the internet oh, this doesn't look 100% photorealistic, therefore this game equals trash. You see one bug and all of a sudden people are getting called out over Twitter for making the worst game of the year. People take little nitpicky things and they blow them up all over social media. I know this may come as a shock to many of you, but that's how it works a lot of the time. And in order to keep that from happening, in order to keep positive word of mouth going about their games, AAA publishers and developers are constantly feeling pressured to, you know, to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on the absolute best technology out there to try to create the best product that's ever been made. Because if you don't come out as the best game that's ever been made, what was the point even? So I completely understand from their perspective, why people do stuff like this, because gaming is an incredibly nostalgic pastime i am an incredibly nostalgic person and many gamers of a certain age are incredibly nostalgic so remakes re-releases reboots you know stuff like that they are ways to circumvent a lot of those expectations they are in many companies eyes relatively low effort almost no risk And in most cases, it's actively something the fans have been wanting and pining for. How do you not green light a thousand of those immediately? Uh, Especially when many of these companies have been struggling to find, you know, new payment models to help, you know, pay for these ridiculous development costs, Uh, you know, from a consumer side. You know, we talk about microtransaction models and and free-to-play games and DLC and and other stuff like this that we just immediately label as predatory. Yeah. For some developers, they see it as a way, they see it as maybe their only way to recoup their development cost. Because, you know, even going back to the days of the Dreamcast, Shin Mew costs so much money to make That in order to recoup its cost, they would have had to sell two copies to every person who owned a Dreamcast at the time. That's how much Shenmue cost to make. So when you're selling games for $20, $30, $40, $50, but you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars... Yes, that's where stuff like DLC comes from so that you so that you give developers extra money. That's where stuff like the free to play model comes from because developers and publishers are trying to find new ways, new payment models to entice people to spend just a little bit more money so that you know they can make back the cost that it makes to make the the cost that it takes to make these games. Yes, I know that the big publishers like Nintendo, Activision, Blizzard, they're not exactly hurting for money. I'm not worried that Nintendo is going to struggle to keep the lights on. But they're not the only people in town, and there are a lot of dev teams out there that that do struggle with finances. I and mean, we see it all the time. Studios are closing all the time. We just talked about like Free Radical, who had to close for stuff yep. like because their game didn't generate enough revenue. So that stuff does happen constantly. Um. So you know, if, when you're worried about money, if you tell a game developer, "Hey, what if I gave you an idea that's low effort, people want it." And you won't have to worry about whether or not it'll make enough money. Yes, yeah. of course they're going to green light it.
0: Yeah. It's it's like a get out of jail free card. And, and I do think that it it's sort of like a, um, again, as, as much as I like, and is it like, I'm going to engage with a lot of them and to continue to engage yeah. with a lot of these, you know, a lot of this stuff is, is great. Makes me happy, but I think it's the reason that ultimately I have sort of found myself, Pushed in the direction of indie games more and more. The vast majority, you know, not just because like indie games are a big part of our DNA here on this show and we cover them every week, but like uh, just in terms of like my sort of diet as a gamer, that's like the vast majority of the stuff that I play because that has sort of become the haven of creativity and it, it it all does come down to money. It's because these indie games are made with smaller teams and smaller budgets because there isn't as much risk. There isn't like these people are not, you know, betting the entire farm, on you know on on every single release like you're saying like um in the activision blizzard junk sony like had these statements talking about crazy budgets like horizon costs like 250 million dollars or something like that to make yeah that's wild like that's insane and you know like indie games don't have to worry about that like i look at You know, like Analgesics games, which to me are like the most creative games on on the market now. And they're some of my favorites. Yeah, analgesic.
1: the studio behind Anodyne 2, the studio behind Stephanie, Even the Ocean. Yeah.
0: That's two people. You know, that's two people. And so their games don't have to sell, you know, 100 million units to break even. Their games don't have to, so they're not. They, they, there's not as much risk, uh, not as much uh, you know risk going on there in terms of finances. So they're able to be creative. They're able to make the game they want to make. And it's also the more studios get in, the, the more people get involved at these massive studios, the more art gets lost. You know, when when four hundred people are trying to paint the same picture, it might be a very pretty picture, but you're not going to see anybody's individual brushstrokes anymore. You know, so that's kind of that's kind of where I, i've I've sort of landed at with games in general, but I think like remakes and remasters have become a another symptom of of that sort of problem
1: and especially when it comes to like bigger studios, we laud the the indie space for being so ridiculously creative, but the indie space is where there's the most danger of stuff being lost to time. We saw it on the 3DS and the Wii U just earlier this year.
3: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: You know, all these games that for the next couple years and for the short foreseeable future, they don't have to worry about something like that. But for many of these amazing games, I'm sure many of the indie showcases that we've done on this very show are depressingly going to be for games that don't find a way to get preserved. I would love to be wrong about that, but that's just kind of the case. And, you know, when we look back on the history of the video games industry, I would love to see the creativity that we see in that indie space. I would love to see that get a AAA style budget, not just because I would love to see what X idea could do when performed at the macro level, Because so often I see so many interesting ideas in indie games and just wish that I could see more of it. But I also would love to see that budget because very often that budget comes with a much greater chance of being preserved. And the greater number of remakes and re-releases and less taking risks on these incredible creative ideas, uh, sure, yes, yes many of these into many of these publishers and developers are creating really good games, but so many of the most creative ideas are kind of just sifting under the bridge, essentially. Sure. It's beautiful while we see them pass, but eventually they're going to drift so far down the river that they get lost forever. And all we have left with is the bridge. While it may be a nice bridge, the metaphor is getting away from me, but hopefully you guys get where I'm coming from.
0: <laughs> I think it's a good point. And I think too, like um, in, in the triple a space, I do think that Nintendo has found the best balance of this, despite the fact that they're also arguably the biggest culprit of, of the remakes and remasters. Like they're the ones that are very like, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of this. You know, we talked yes. about it. there's a lot of stuff coming out this year, but I think Nintendo finds a, a good balance of stuff like Tears of the Kingdom. Pikmin 4, these games that have come out, these, these, you know, brand new triple A high budget games that are still doing new and unique things. I think it's ultimately why I'm a Nintendo fan after all this time is because they have like found the middle ground. They have said, you know, we don't need to have the latest and greatest hardware. We don't, you know, art style over graphics. You know, Nintendo has sort of planted their flag there and they still make games that are beautiful and you still resonate with fans and still manage to have creative ideas at that scale so i think that nintendo kind of has their cake and eats it too in a lot of ways and i appreciate that about nintendo but it is ultimately it's why like for me it's like my my gaming is like 99 percent nintendo and indie games like that yeah. that's exactly
1: why <laughs> and that's one of the reasons I do try to get like if I if I find it in a game and I really like it, I do everything I can if there's a physical version of that game to yeah. get myself a copy for just that exact reason. If unfortunately 10 years from now we wind up in the exact same situation that we saw with the 3DS and the Wii U where unfathomably you know, maybe something like uh, There Is No Game Wrong Dimension gets delisted or maybe it's a situation where something like Anodyne 2 or even The Ocean, all the 6 mm-hmm. games, maybe they get delisted. So. Uh,
0: I don't want to think about that.
1: I know you don't. <laughs> but there were a couple other, you know, just thoughts I had. And if, if I could put my tinfoil hat here on for a moment.
0: Please. It's It's
1: been 10 years since Mario Kart 8 came out. Yeah. It's been actually 10 years since Mario Kart 8 came out, and we've been talking about remakes and re releases of games. But here, for the past couple of years, we've seen Nintendo do remakes and re releases of content, of tracks. And like Mario Kart 8 is still amazing. It is. But. I've been playing it for 10 years.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> and
1: it's, it's cool to see new content and it's nice to go back, but let's all be honest with ourselves. That initial weekend that all the content has come out, that's been 98% of the time that people, that most people have played Mario Kart over the past couple of years are just the weekends that those new courses come out. Because, yep those new courses while great by themselves are not going to get you back into spending 10 hours, 15 hours a week on that game. It's just not what that game is about anymore. So many of us, uh, have, have, Are so well and past that game that we're excited for that content just because it is something, anything new from the franchise. And it feels like it's just been a reason for Nintendo to not make Mario Kart 9 for several more years, which stinks because, I mean, I don't know if it's a case where they just don't have any good ideas. I don't know if it's a case where it's just been in development so long they've needed the extra time. I don't know. But again, It's been a full decade since the last one. It's still selling well, which I'm sure also contributes to Nintendo's. Hey, we'll just wait this out a little while longer.
0: That's just it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But but ultimately. I mean, ultimately, like Nintendo has to do something with it, right? We've only got one more drop for the booster course pass coming here at the end of 2023. And then there's
0: going to be a lot of people be like, okay, Nintendo now what? At a certain point, it's like, like where, where do you go from here? Cause, cause now it's like, are you, is Mario Kart nine just like legit never going to happen? I think Mario Kart's a really, a really good point. I think it's a really interesting sort of thing. Cause you're, you're right. It sort of inevitably becomes like that. It's, it's like the, the member berries from South park. It's just like, ah, member. And then you get that little <laughs> dopamine hit and then you're just done. You know, you get the dopamine hit and then and then you go about your day. Everybody plays it for that first like week. You go in, you get all of your trophies or whatever. And then you then you're just you're done until the next one, you know. Yeah. And the it's next batch. done
1: and it's a good time and we enjoy it and we're certainly yeah. glad to be getting this content as opposed to not getting it. Uh but yes, very much like this, very much like how You know, the the re-releases of the Wii U games, how New Super Mario U Deluxe and how Mario 3D All-Stars just felt like Nintendo buying time so that they wouldn't have to work as hard on other games. And, you know, saying that they don't have to work as hard is... I I know it comes off as completely ignorant because we don't know what goes on at those companies. We don't know how hard they're working. I'm sure there's an artist and a developer at Nintendo that want to reach through the screen right now and choke me. Uh, But, you know, from a consumer standpoint, again, after 10 years, I think it's fair to say that Nintendo should have at least done something with a core follow-up. And I'm sorry, I don't count Mario Kart
3: Live.
0: Yeah. Well, and or I Mario think too, Yeah. Well, that's fair. I I think that it's um. I think another like uh like facet to this too that that we have to consider is that like it or not, like we are at the end of the life of this Switch era. If we get a Switch Pro, Switch Two, whatever, like. Mm-hmm. There's no denying that like the the core Nintendo switch is long in the tooth like it's it's this is probably the final year of the baseline Nintendo switch. I mean, I think that everybody sort of expects that 2024 is going to see some sort of new hardware uh, from Nintendo. I think everybody's expecting that and uh, I think that like you're you're also sort of seeing Nintendo like kind of biting their time a little bit. Like, I think that's, that's also an element of this of like, let's, you know, put out these remakes and and remasters or whatever, bide our time, keep them happy, you know, not, not show too many of our cards so that we have stuff ready to go, you know, whenever we launch the next thing next year. I think that also feeds into it. I think that's maybe why we're seeing uh, a little bit more than normal from them this year. So I think that might also be an element of it.
1: Very Possibly. Very possibly. I know that, uh, like I said, we are going to continue to be excited about a lot of these remakes and re-releases. These are games that in many cases, Seth and I grew up with and, you know, I've already copped to being incredibly nostalgic, but again, you know, maybe tightening my tinfoil hat just a little bit more. I'm not accusing any publisher of doing this. I want to make that very clear. However, I'm just saying that I could see how some people might think that IP holders are intentionally not making games available so that they could potentially have that remake re-release in their back pocket.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Because if you just, as, as amazing as it would be, if Nintendo just made the entire GameCube library available tomorrow. Every game that they have the publishing rights for, they just put up on the Nintendo Switch eShop, made available tomorrow. As amazing as that would be, I'm sure there are a lot of dev teams out there that would be a little disappointed because that would potentially make a remake or re-release of that title drive less interest and therefore drive less sales. So again, I'm not accusing any publisher or developer of doing this, but specifically when it comes to this idea of preservation that we have been bringing up for years, I could see how some people would think that maybe some companies specifically withhold games from the public so they can have a potential remake or re-release in their back pocket and make more money off of it.
0: I think it's an objective truth. Like, I I think that is for sure what's happening. I think that... Um, I'm sure like, that's why we didn't get Mario
1: RPG on the Nintendo, uh, the Super Nintendo NSO. Like, I, yeah. I I guarantee you that's why we never got it there is because Nintendo knew they were doing that. Totally. You know, there's, a, there's a couple other games that are also very conspicuous by their absence on the Super Nintendo NSO app that, you know, maybe... You know, if you guys want to put your tinfoil hats on with me, you know, maybe we could start. I'm just saying. I'm just saying.
0: No, yeah, that's that's 1000. I mean, yeah, like to just bold face. The the reason that Chrono Trigger is not on there is because I didn't want to say Chrono
1: Trigger. It's a
0: thousand percent what's going to happen. Chrono Trigger will get an HD 2D re-release like a live a lifestyle re-release that's going to be full price, $60, and we're all going to buy it. You know, we're gonna be like super excited. that's one thousand percent what's happening. That's I'm I just think saying, just it's just imagine
1: troop. imagine how many more are going to sell because that game's not available on NSL.
0: Yes, absolutely. It, it like and that's the thing is it's not even like a like it's, it's, you know, and I don't, I don't want to paint a picture like they're just, you know, like Dick dastardly twisting their mustache more, yeah. you <laughs> know, test twirl like
1: all yeah. the, you know, all the presidents of these video game publishers just have big bags with dollar signs all over their yeah. desks
3: spilling coins chomping and
0: cigars and you know like i don't i don't think it's the, i think it's just smart business like i i think it's as like simple as that like why wouldn't they you know like yeah the the most consumer friendly thing in the world would be like nintendo just they have all these roms just dump them all on you know yeah, yeah of course they could do that's, that that's the dream situation <laughs> right there but yes yeah yeah, they could. They could do whatever they wanted to. They've got the money. They could do all kinds of stuff, but they don't have to, you know? And so why would they? It doesn't make smart business sense. You you shouldn't do, you know, there's a fine balance. There's a there's a tight rope to walk. And I think that for what it's worth, I think Nintendo walks it fairly well. I mean, the reality of it is, is you can just boot up your Nintendo Switch. And if you have NSO, like, yeah, I could go, I could play the Oracle games whenever I want now you know within i boot up my switch and two and within 2 seconds i could be playing the oracle games and then 2 seconds later i could be playing super mario 64 like you know that kind of stuff like happens and that's all part of the business model too but i i do think that nintendo does a better job than most of Of like walking that tightrope, and they're also you have to consider too that Nintendo has this kind of stance this this more measured stance than they really need to, considering that they're also on top right now, like xbox gets lauded for you know, they're kind of consumer friendly practices and they are game pass is great. Game pass is awesome. There's no denying it. Their backwards compatibility measures have been great. They put a ton of resources into backwards compatibility. Like the fact that you can get on your Xbox series X and play the vast majority of original Xbox games and, and they actually are enhanced on Xbox series X in many cases. Like that's incredible, you know, but You have to imagine that if Xbox was on top of the world and they didn't have to do those consumer friendly moves to stand out, they probably wouldn't have, you know? So like the fact that we have what we have as Nintendo fans and they're also on top, I think it like, I think we're in a pretty decent spot. It's not perfect. We're not in a perfect situation, but I think we're in a pretty good situation as Nintendo fans, all things considered
1: but at the end of the day how much do we think that that reliance on that mentality is potentially costing innovation how significant do we think that is do we think it's significant
0: i mean i think it is i think it's i think it is significant in in some respects i think that there are certain I I don't, I don't think it's as big of a deal with Nintendo. I, I would be more worried if like we were just continuing to see the same old tired stuff from Nintendo first party, but we're not like, we're seeing some really exciting stuff still from Nintendo first party. And Nintendo is not, you know, afraid to experiment and be creative with it. I mean, many, the vast majority of Nintendo's first party franchises have, have had their best entries on the switch. That's, so
1: yeah, that's a good point. That's a good like, point. For, and for I will me, say this: this conversation would be much more pointed if the remakes and re-releases weren't good. Totally,
0: yeah. And and so for me, like I I look at that and I'm like, well, Nintendo is is not only you know doing this kind of stuff, but they're they're also just still making really good games, and also still making really good creative steps forward with their games. Now, if I look at the other side of the fence, and I look at stuff like you know sony and microsoft they're kind of just doing the same stuff over and over again because their games cost more because their games cost much more and they have to be more risk averse god of war ragnarok i'm sure is amazing but it's a bigger prettier god of war 2018 horizon forbidden west i'm sure is amazing but it's a bigger prettier horizon zero dawn which in and of itself both of them are just also action rpgs or open world games like they they are the safe bets They are the things that make money, you know, and so I I, know there's a lot
1: of people that have that exact opinion of, of most, you know, Nintendo franchises. Now, I'm sure there are a lot of people that look at Pikmin Four the same way. And a lot of people that uh, are probably going to look at Super Mario Brothers wonder the same way as like, oh, well, you know, well, Mario has been running left to right with power ups for 30 plus years now. It's just the same thing all over again.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could, I think you could make that sort of reductive stance about anything if you wanted to, I think you could reduce pretty much any video game to that if you really wanted to. But I think the like unique ideas that are coming forth, like, you know, in horizon zero, Dawn, you ain't turning into an elephant. (laughs) You know (laughs) what I mean? Like that's not happening. Um, I, I think that there, you know, there are some exceptions to the rules. I think that ratchet and clank does some cool, like unique stuff. Like if I'm looking across the street a little bit, I actually think halo infinite had some pretty cool and unique ideas. Um, But, know. but you I'd love
1: know. to play those Ratchet and Clank games, but I mean, they're on the PS4, 5, and I'm just over here. It's just, it's too big of a rift apart.
0: <laughs> nice. Well, <laughs> that's, that's also, though, like very much the exception rather than the rule, you know, and like on the big budget scale from non-Nintendo, I think that uh, this is another reason why the FromSoft games do so well. And even they... Are kind of in danger of people being reductive to those of oh it's another Soulsborne like game like like that was such a breath of fresh air when those games came out and like FromSoft's games are so big and so like uh, powerful because they're new and creative at the scale of AAA um, that they effectively created a whole other genre <laughs> around them you know like that's how powerful new and creative ideas are is that when you can actually branch out and make something new and innovative and successful at the AAA scale in that space, you, you've effectively created another genre. So I think that's really interesting. I think there's a really interesting sort of like examination to be made there to the point where now people who have never cared about armored core now care about armored core six all of a sudden, you know? So it's interesting, man. Creativity in this, in this art form is an interesting thing. And looking at the sort of like and it all does boil down to money and the effect that money has on art um and and the the ways that money can stifle art and i think we are seeing a lot of that in the aaa space
1: i will say when it comes to re- like on the on the flip side of them stifling creativity there's a lot of remakes and re-releases that have proved that maybe the missing ingredient was just a couple modern touches, maybe a couple quality Mm. of life ideas that hadn't been come up with. And especially, uh, you know, when it comes to the Wii U remakes, the deluxe remakes, the Wii U had such a woefully small audience with some amazing games on it that like, we were happy to see all those games get remastered and, and re-released on the Nintendo switch so that they could actually be appreciated for the good games that they were. Uh, But, you know, when you have, like, I I do think that Metroid Prime Remastered was a bit of a gamble just for the simple sake of, like, even today, like, Metroid Prime is an all-time masterpiece. So trying to go back and tweak the wheel a little bit there, that felt a little unnecessary to me. Like, it, it turned out incredibly well. But if I was going to look at one thing as maybe a potential, you know what? You didn't really have to do that. You could have actually used resources elsewhere on more ambitious projects. As great as it is, I would still maybe point to something like Metroid Prime Remastered as something like that. Sure. It's a good point. It turned out fantastic. But, you know... With Mario Wonder, with, uh, you know, uh, Advance Wars 1 Plus 2 Reboot Camp, or I'm sorry, not with Mario Wonder. That's not a remake. I apologize. Uh, But with uh, Mario RPG and Advance Wars 1 Plus 2 Reboot Camp and, uh, you know, all these other games that Nintendo is remaking and remastering, uh, you know, did they have to do that one? There are a couple, I think. Maybe it was like, you know what? You don't have to make as many there are so many remakes coming out each year that it's a uh it's a category for us at the golden aces so yeah. i mean <laughs> yeah, we still is. we still eat them up and frankly you know i say all this metroid prime remastered might just take the golden ace for best remake or re-release it's, oh year. it's
0: it's incredible well and i think too i think it's a great point and i i think that like the argument for like Like, did did Metroid Prime Remaster take away resources from like Prime Four? Like could could Prime Four have come out come out earlier, right, if they hadn't focused on that. I think that like we're never gonna know the ins and outs of that development. I think that the the common thought is that like Retro basically went back and and like refamiliarized themselves with Metroid Prime and used that game's development as almost like a like think of it as like scratch paper or something when you're writing like an essay, like, Hey, let's just do this. Let's get the engine up and running. Let's get it working on switch. And Hey, as a happy side effect, we've also remastered the first game and let's, you know, sell a million copies of that and, uh, and have a little fan friendly move. I think that that probably is the case, but on the flip side of this, you see something like the links awakening remake, which has a beautiful, completely new engine and art style that was made just for that, and never seen again. Like at this point in time, that engine was made for one game that came out and sold, you know, quiet few million copies. And it was a high profile uh, remake and it was great.
1: I can't think of any other games that they could have potentially used that on. Certainly not any games that just came to Game Boy NSO this week.
0: That's what I'm saying. They like that engine could have been used. Like I would love nothing more like, to, to this point, if they just let, you know, and I've said this on this show, if Greza was able to just continue the 2D Zelda franchise with that engine, like, that is dream scenario for me. But, like, that is maybe an example of kind of, like, what, what we're talking about, where you'll put resources like that into remaking an old game, but you won't put resources like that into making new ones, you know, with the same team and with the same engine that you've already developed. Like at that point I do think that's a little bit of a misstep. So, it's interesting man, there's a lot of layers to yeah. to that conversation.
1: Yeah, there is. And honestly, we could probably be here all night, but uh this is this is a conversation we would love to hear your take on. Make sure to reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter. Like, let's have that conversation in the Discord. Do you think there's too many remakes? Are you not interested at all in newer games and you only care about the remakes? Are you as hype as we are for a lot of the stuff coming out? Like I said, I'm still unapologetically incredibly excited for stuff like Mario RPG and Star Ocean, the second story. But I mean... When you look at stuff big picture, when you look at the macro level, when you look at the industry as a whole, there are a few interesting angles to look at this from. And again, we would love to hear your thoughts on it. We are just two dumb Nintendo content creators. (laughs) So I'm sure you've got uh, a really cool and interesting take on it that we would love to hear about. So go ahead and do that. But speaking of cool and interesting and more talented than us, Seth, we have an incredibly special guest to bring to the show today.
0: We do, in fact, we have two incredibly special guests, and this is a situation where this is kind of the best of both worlds. This is let's take something old, let's bring it into the modern age, and let's do it with an independent developer. Arzette um, was revealed during LRG three, wound up being one of our favorite announcements of the entire mm-hmm. show. A game very clearly calling back to the old Philips CDI. You know, Nintendo games, stuff like the Zelda games, Hotel Mario, you know, and uh, universally man, we,
1: beloved titles all.
0: Oh, oh yes. <laughs> but <laughs> but very beloved by uh, creator Seth Fulkerson, uh, who is joining us on the show. Also joining us uh, is is Audie Sorley, who is coming over from LRG from Limited Run Games, who is the producer uh, of the of the title. And we are so excited to welcome him to the show right now. All right, dear listeners. Arzeth, the jewel of Fairmore, is one of our favorite announcements from LRG three this year. We've got two special guests here to talk about it. Please welcome to the show right now, Seth Fulkerson from CDI Software, and Audie Surly, lead producer on internal development from Limited Run Games. Yay! Yay!
4: <laughs> Yay!
1: <laughs> How are you? Thank you so. Uh, thank you both so much for joining us today.
4: Ah, thank, thank you for you. inviting us.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it super excited to be talking about
0: rz
4: how did you hear about this game
0: how did you hear about rz how, how did <laughs> exactly. this come up this have you week? seen this have you heard about this so so that would y'all actually i i know i've already introduced you you've already blown out your drums with the yay but if you could just introduce yourselves um so that people can associate a name with the voice that'd be that'd be sick
4: i go I go ahead seth
2: okay uh this seth yeah, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> two Seths.
4: <laughs> there are two Seth's on this show. It's gonna get quite confusing. Confusing.
2: Yes. Yeah. 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 So uh, I'm Seth Fulgerson, uh better known on the internet as Doppley. Uh, I'm the uh developer, creator, uh person responsible for RZ at CDI Software, which is my very uh subtly named company name. <laughs> yes. So for the for those listening, obviously, you know, because it's
1: audio, you can't really tell. It's not the letter C-D-I. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's C-D-I. It's very... I I like it quite a lot. It's one of those finger guns, like, oh, I see what you did there kind of thing. Yeah, but
4: you'd be surprised how long it took some people, because, like, obviously, I've been keeping track of people, like, watching the trailer and, like, reactions to it, Mm -hmm. and then, like, there's a few of them that, like, have talked about it multiple times, and it's like on their fur discussion about it, where they, like, go into it, and it's like... (laughs) The name also, it's CDI, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> dumbass. Like, <laughs>
3: yeah.
4: I have a lot of love for my customers, I swear.
2: <laughs> I most definitely do. Yes, yes, yes.
4: So, did you introduce yourself? I, yeah, I, I, I think told you that to... covers
2: everything. Why don't
4: you yeah, go ahead? You said your name right.
2: Yep, I, I didn't flub. Down, All right, so. right.
4: You just need to speak with more confidence, Seth. You're so soft-spoken. I can't so even hear spockin'? you. spoken So uh, soft-spoken. Sorry, I'm I'm foreign. Like <laughs> I'm actually reading this interview off a script just to make sure that like I know what I'm saying.
3: You're
1: doing a great job. Just stick yes. to the script. Everything will be fine, Audio. Yes.
4: It's kind of weird that you wrote out that reassurance in the script. Uh, I'm Audie Surly, and I am the lead producer at limited run games uh, mostly on our internal developments like i was introduced by you guys and uh, so i oversee all of the developments that we do on the carbon engine uh, which i'm sure we'll talk a little bit about mm. uh, but also uh, in this case i'm one of the uh, lead producers and also co-writer and kind of co-designer of um our set the jewel of faramore with uh, seth fulkerson
0: yeah, very involved. I, it's cool to to have both of y'all here because obviously this is um there's a lot of like love and passion that is clear, um, just from looking at this game for two seconds. And uh, right. I'm curious from from both of y'all how how's the reaction been from the reveal LRG3? What's it
2: been like these past few weeks? Oh, man. Uh, well, for me, it's <laughs> been pretty uh, unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> I thought it might get a little bit of attention, but it's gotten. Quite a lot, you know. I, I Did wasn't it genuinely expecting... surprised you. E- yes, I didn't expect fan art, for instance. I didn't expect all the uh, remix videos, as I affectionately refer them to. to uh, sort of, <laughs> yeah, <start popping>. yeah. <laughs> It's, been, it's yep. been something
1: else. What's the craziest thing you've seen? Uh, I don't, oh, he I don't can't know if talk
0: about talk that. About it on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, this X Ray YTP community is already uh, already popping already? off. Of this. Wow! Yeah, oh, well, it didn't yeah,
4: take yeah, long. Yeah. It was like the first night we started seeing some weird stuff pop up. Um, but yeah, the was, like it's, it's, been, it's been real crazy. I think especially for Seth because like I've been in games since like the mid two thousands. So I worked on different projects, obviously, but like for Seth, this is his first video game. And, uh, from like announcement to uh, a week ago, he went from relative obscurity to being on IGN at Comic-Con. <laughs> and, like, yeah. So it's just kind of like, I'm just trying to hear, sit here and like, imagine what he's going through and cool a lot of soil fire, pants, then. right? Just like, like yeah, a ton of, of soil it's pants. You, yeah.
2: That's why I brought like six pairs, uh, on the <laughs> I just
4: stopped wearing them. That's the secret. To oh, that's with, that's that much, is the secret. Yeah. It's much better. Pro tip.
1: how to succeed at indie dev um
4: (laughs) soil soil your pants step two nothing
1: (laughs) but for for those people who somehow may not have heard uh the insane ground zero explosions from lrg3 like how would you describe rz to people who have blasphemously not heard about it yet
2: uh it's a uh loving homage to early 90s uh Interactive media. Uh, it's an action platformer uh, done in a fun and beloved style. Is that, is that good, Adi? Is that, did I get the pitch right? Yeah. It,
4: at first, I thought you started talking about plumbers don't wear ties, but you oh, sort of yeah. managed to stare in the right <laughs> direction. So, yeah, I mean, it is basically, it's the spiritual successor to the Zelda CDI games in the sense that it's a game that looks at the positives of that design uh, the interesting level designs, the quirky characters, um, the beautiful background art, kind of like all the kind of positives has been accentuated into a better game.
2: Right. Making a good so, game. Yeah. So yeah.
4: that's one thing we need to clarify, because I've seen comments being like, why are they making a bad game? And it's well, like, well, <laughs> even though I'm the producer on it, it's not that bad.
1: i mean that's i do think that is kind of the elephant in the room when you're autumn when you're trying to emulate something that has been kind of so famously a flub you talk about hotel mario you talk about uh you know the zelda cdi games and yeah they they are kind of the butt of jokes however yeah i mean you're absolutely right there are still positives to take and potentially build off of uh and even though most people don't you know, necessarily look fondly back at Philip's little passion project from the early '90s. You guys do, so just tell us a little bit about why you have such a love for uh, for this device and for this era of gaming.
2: Well, you go ahead, Adi. You seem like well, you
4: for something. me. So for me, I grew up in the '90s and uh, '80s and '90s, and you know, the first things I started gaming on was like Commodore sixty four. And then I went over to MDME, Amiga and NES and the idea because I, I had EGM and these magazines and I kept seeing like CDI coverage as well as 3DO, which is another console I love. And this kind of, you know, I think we often now look at those consoles for its FMV games like the Night Traps and, you know, yeah, these of kinds of games. But I clearly remember growing up in the era that the potential of video games expanded beyond your wildest streams coming from these cartridge systems or microcomputers where suddenly you had like video you had that for me like game music has been yeah, CD such quality a big sound. yeah yeah and, yeah and it's like man you can put like cd music of a game now that's such an interesting concept it really just all these aspects that the cdi promised and you saw in like still shots really interested me and it's just stuck with me my whole life i still like i obviously now i have a cdi and like a huge collection for it but back then i saw it in magazines you saw those still images even of the Zelda games right and that's the thing like in the still image in the magazine back then it, they looked incredible because like the color depth was beyond anything that i had seen before uh, you know those hand-painted backgrounds made the World looks so like lush and different from what you saw in like even a Super Nintendo game in, in those early days. So even with our set, like when we started designing it, it for me it was kind of going back to that mindset of like, you know that that the memory I have of that console in my child's eye, mind's eye. I want to make a game that kind of reflects that nostalgia. So it's not like accurate to what the CDI could produce. It's obviously way more color and better performance. But it does reflect the image that I had of that era. Mm-hmm.
1: See, I think that's the thing is uh you know, taking an era, taking a device and emulating it while still giving people all the modern conveniences that we've come to expect in the preceding 25 years, right? Sure. Yeah, right. Yes. You're trying to give people a CDI feel, but yeah, sure. We've had a lot of quality of life improvements and we've had a lot of, you know, you know, technological improvements over the past couple of decades. So trying to create a modern experience that still gives people an accurate CDI feel Without you know trying to make a good game from a not good situation, basically.
4: Yeah, I mean right. it's it's an interesting proposition to take a game that wasn't good. You know, it, it you know it's objectively not a good game. Those two, but um, at the same time, being able to look at them and re- kind of succeed something. In, and even in Seth's case, he has remade them into better <laughs> games. Um, you know, we—it's interesting enough when you take like Last of Us and remakes it, but that's already a good game. So it's like, well, it's a slightly better experience than the good experience I already have with that game. That's cool, but much like my love for bad movies, it's like the idea of taking something that wasn't successful, that wasn't really good, but seeing how could we make that better? How could we make it fun? That's an interesting challenge and something I don't see enough in gaming.
2: Right. And I think that's really touching upon like my core, like love for it all is, you know, I saw saw a ton of uh, potential in those original games, um, right. especially, um, you know, like learning like sort of the story behind the games and like how limited they were, like in terms of resources and development time and everything. And uh, just, uh, you know, they, they couldn't really do what they wanted to do. So to, to really like sort of explore like the design concepts and the style, you know, really lean into oh, you know, it's interactive media, you know, you get a game and you get cartoon cutscenes like
3: mm-hmm. like
2: what what if you could just do that, you know, and and wrap it in a style that people seem to like. Yeah. And uh just really explore that cuz yeah. I think the bad movie like analogy love is a really good one because yeah. I also mm-hmm. like terrible films like Oddy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and in video
0: games, obviously. <laughs> nothing there's nothing wrong with that. Well, I, I definitely wanted to ask about um sort of how long this has been, you know, germinating for. Because I mean, like you remastered those old Zelda CDI games just as like a fan project. Was mm-hmm. the, the seed for our that already planted at that point? We're already working on it. Did you already know
2: you wanted to make this before then? So uh like I've said a, a few times before publicly, uh, those projects were both like an exploration of like, oh, um, what would they be like if they were like, had like the rough edges smoothed off? Yeah. But mm-hmm. also, can I finish a video game project? <laughs> because, you know, uh, like I'm sure a lot of creatives, you know, I, I had suffered with from that for a little bit. And yeah, no, it's an idea that I've, uh, that my friends have always talked about. They're like, well, what if we did our own? Style, you know, like what if we did that? It's it's always been something kicking around, but especially I'd say a month after the remasters got like the attention they did, I was like, okay, I'm gonna write this design doc. <laughs> so yeah, it's, mean, it's been about that long.
4: It must have been really suddenly after that because the way December. this came about yep. to become a real project was, um, you know, I'm also part of a channel called Digital Foundry and, <laughs> yep. um, do DF retro videos for those who follow that channel. Uh, and on that channel, I've been very firmly established as the CDI guy, uh, which my <laughs> parents did, uh, like uh, are very proud of. And the, the one thing that happened was that I woke up one day and I had like hundreds of notifications on my Twitter, just hundreds. And I was like, oh, damn, they found that party picture from 2002. Like, it's, you know, It's over now. But then when I actually looked at it, it was like, oh wait, like there's like something about the CDI going on. And it was all these people saying, like, hey Audi, you you need to check these remakes out. And it was like the first version you put out publicly, I think. Yep. And generally when people kind of link me to stuff like that, you know, fan projects are cool, but I do find often that visually they've kind of understood the essence of them but gameplay mechanics have not been studied properly so when i play them it's like it, it's pretty rough right so i figured that this also was kind of like well it's probably somewhat i got the assets from the cdi games extracted put it in kind of like some sort of uh, unity container did something with it put it out and then when i played it i was shocked because it's like not only had this person studied the game to understand how it functioned in its normal like CDI form and recreated that for better or worse. Uh, they had also, <laughs> you know, looked at those positives and had made it into a better experience as a toggle. And I was like, that's again, like I said earlier, it's like, man, that's such an interesting concept and exactly what interests me. So I reached out to Seth or maybe you reached out to me. I forget which direction it went at first. Cause turned What's out that Seth, F- yeah, I think so, because we wanted to do some kind of footage, uh, coverage on it. And it turned out that you were a big fan of ours on uh, yep. Digital Foundry. So it was just kind of natural for us to start talking. And it was like, I'd say a day after we started talking for the very first time, you were like, I got this idea for a game. I was like, all right, <laughs> <Yeah>. let's go. <laughs> like, <laughs> is it based on CDI? All right, let's go.
1: Uh, is that really all the code? Like, you were just ready? You were down to... Well,
2: a thing about me is uh when I start planning a project, I really plan it, and I already had like a design document written. yeah, I was
4: very stuff. impressed by this because obviously people do come with pitches here and there, uh either it's like you know from a fan community standpoint or towards mm-hmm. limited run um and you look at them and you know usually fairly solid ideas and whatnot. but Seth had never made like a commercial video game before, but his design document was better than some pitch documents like I've gotten that are from actual published developers. So I was like, well, you really want to make this game, huh? <laughs> uh, <Yep. laughs> and uh it was just very impressive, so I kind of felt like there is something here and being that it's his first video game, um I kind of want to be part of this and make sure that at least it, even if it's not successful, uh even if like we don't finish it, I just want it to at least be a positive experience. So I was like, you know, I kind of want to work with you on this and just see what we can do, because I think this looks like a fun idea. And honestly, like, who knows? Maybe eventually it will become a published game. Uh, I don't know. And uh, yeah, here we are
2: now. Yeah, here we are now. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a ride, huh?
1: seth obviously you learned that you can complete a project with those remakes i'm interested well it's
4: not out yet let's not let's well, not saying... give the kid too much confidence
2: <laughs> kid I love, I love this i'm 30 years old by the way In case i'm, old, I'm still older than you <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> but doing those remakes was there anything that kind of surprised you that you learned from those projects
2: uh, how hard it is to make a video game it's uh, very very <laughs> difficult and as my first big like project to finish i chose to do two of them so that was also uh was a learning experience so
4: and not too violently different from each other yeah yeah
0: yeah, for sure. Well, and it is like, you know, obviously it's inspired and, and, you know, it wears those inspirations on its sleeve. But this is, as we've talked about, I mean, this is ultimately still a modern game, kind of taking something, polishing it, making it good. And mm-hmm. I, I'm curious kind of what that looks like in terms of, you know, taking those passes on the old school design philosophies and making them work in the modern age. What are some of the things that Arzette is kind of doing to uh, to smooth some of those rough edges?
2: Well, um, we definitely like we looked into all the ways that you could like improve upon the original design, and plus I added a lot of like uh, things that I liked into the game, like more like non-linear like exploration, even though it's like stage-based. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh but uh you know a secret weapon that i have had access to <laughs> is uh digital Foundry's john Linneman has uh, really helped me uh, kind of co-design uh the game and like make sure that it's very very highly polished yeah yeah i'm sure audi can speak a little bit about that as well.
4: no i mean it was just again you know being in your first video game i kind of felt like making the ex- experience positive and uh, one thing that John and I had always talked about was kind of like, Hey, yeah, it'd be fun to work on a 2d game together. And one thing that both John and I really love is good, like 2d platform level design and kind of studying what is it that makes a good 2d platformer. Um, So when John heard about the project and I kind of offered him to come aboard to do level designs, so it was something that he jumped down and uh, you know, He's someone that really also kind of understands just the basic of what makes a fun, athletic platformer, because it's not just a simple traversal from left to right. It has to That's be right. interesting. The le- uh, One thing that a lot of people don't think about is like um, enemy placement, because if you have bad enemy placement, it's suddenly not fun to navigate that mm-hmm. world because you'll constantly be stopped and constantly hurt yourself. And it just becomes frustrating. So it's all these things. And I think that's the biggest takeaway of how to improve upon the CDI as a game is to make navigation of the entire world and stages uh, more readable by Mm -hmm. eye. Because that's the one thing that like those originals, they look beautiful, but it's hard to find your path. And not just in terms of like, where can you go on the map? but just navigating what is a natural way to navigate the number of enemies you have on screen. Uh, like an attack pattern, a movement pattern. It's all these things that your brain is doing when it's playing a video game. The cell of CDI games don't really allow you to use that brain. No. So that was one thing that we really wanted to make like kind of crystal clear, was like every time you play the game, every time you see a screen, every time you enter a stage, you immediately at least make kind of like that line, that kind of figurative line of where you want to go, the path of where you want to go.
2: Yeah. Because the original games, uh, the, the games that inspired RZ, uh, yeah, they, they had random enemy spawns and just really like sort of like aggressive, nasty, like sort of behavior. Like RZ's got like very deliberately placed enemies and there's no randomly spawning enemies. Like uh, you're pretty aware of like, Uh, Your surroundings, like the level design itself, I actually did all of it on graph paper first, uh, old school style. That's hardcore. Well, it's the only way my brain works, so that's just kind of the way it goes. (laughs) So yeah, like I would just I would come up with you know kind of interesting directions and shapes and everything, and then put it on graph paper, and then I would put that in the game. You know, test, test, test. Uh, and then, you know, at a certain point, uh, you know, John started working with me and we would test together. Uh, thankfully he was, a, was pretty uh, happy with my level design. Uh, we did do some, <laughs> he didn't hate it. So that, that made it pretty easy. <laughs> we both have very similar like philosophies when it comes to level design, thankfully. So that, that made it a lot easier, but, um,
4: yeah, but yeah I, that's something that is very important to make clear too. Cause like even though like people like John and I joined the project and we've been around for a little bit longer than Seth, what Seth had laid out as a basic was already really good. He clearly had an understanding of this. So it's, you know, all the credit to Seth really as a first time designer, especially it was like, you know, we could build upon what he had put there. We never had to go and say like, Oh, you can't do this. Oh, this is wrong. Uh, it was always like, you, yeah, you have something here. Let's build upon that.
1: Well, when it comes to the uh, the design philosophies that you guys have, would you say you're more into like the flow of a level to the point where you could maybe speed run a level once you get comfortable <laughs> enough with it, something like a Donkey Kong Country, or more into creating like a series of well-designed micro challenges to get players to keep thinking and to, to keep you know engaging them in, in any
2: variety of unique and fresh ways? It's probably a cop-out to say both but kind of both uh, speed speedrunners speed love uh, they loved my remasters and i know they're they're really gonna like this game uh yeah but,
4: um, i mean we're both huge fans of like gdq and yep. these kind of speedrunning events so like it is something that we always kept in our minds was like we're not designing the game for speedrunning, mm-hmm. uh, but we're certainly excited about what the potential is for it because yeah. even when we have playtesters on it now they come up with certain things that we didn't really think about, which sometimes is a problem. We have to fix it, <laughs> but other times oh, yeah. it's like, that's really neat. And it just shows how robust, uh, Seth's design really is that we can do stuff like that. But also like, you know, it's very helpful just to see how people engage with it and what can be improved mm-hmm. sometimes and what, you know, we leave in there for like speed running tactics. So there is probably a mix of both. I mean, the game itself is a spiritual successor to Zelda CDI, but I right. will say, uh, John has mentioned this on Twitter, so I think it's okay to say it, but like, I think in terms of like, uh, how we, uh, design philosophies that probably comes a little bit more from games like monster monster world or M- monster boy more recently. Okay. Um, okay. Where, because those do share a little bit with those Zelda CDI games, so it's kind of Mm -hmm. it's a natural kind of blend of uh, design philosophies from both aspects. So the positive to Zelda CDI is mixed with the mechanics of a Monster World to make a very different but cool package.
2: Right, it kind of like turned into like a convergent kind of evolution. Uh, (laughs) You know, it turns out CDI, but good. Uh, with a lot of the things that, you know, I like in games uh, is sort of, sort of a little monster world. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Is it,
0: is it hard to kind of like strike that fine balance between like providing the modern conveniences that, that people are kind of looking for in a modern game, but still kind of tapping into those like retro rough edges, like the stuff You know the bad stuff in some ways is like what makes these games special. Mm -hmm. You know, so is it like kind of hard to strike that balance of like this has got to be good and it's got to hold up to modern scrutiny, but also like I kind of like the rough edges. Maybe we shouldn't curve (laughs) out the edge so much, (laughs)
4: right? Maybe we should. Maybe it shouldn't be this good. We did this wrong, right? It's because it's pretty.
2: It's it's shaping up pretty well. No, I mean, I I always wanted to make a good game, right? Like I I sort Mm -hmm. of like identified from the beginning, like. Yeah, what's what's really good, what's really bad about, you know, Zelda CDI like we, we don't want like infinite continues, we don't want randomly spawning enemies, you know, and or don't don't press uh, menu to open a door, you, you know, like obvious stuff like that, but uh, yeah, I mean like it, it's been an interesting challenge to try to sort of limit myself and try to be like okay, but this is you know, a spiritual successor, so I've got to keep, you know, I can't throw out everything, uh, but for the most part it's been uh, pretty natural like well i'm designing a good game here so
4: i think also when like going back to the question about kind of like modern sensibilities and like Mm -hmm. i think especially in a two-day 2d space um a good kind of 2d platformer is timeless so it's not so much about striking like a modern balance this is just kind of like having a timeless feel to it a game that like when you play it you can't really like ever tell like this was made in early 2020s or was made in 2005 or was made in 1985 like i kind of like striving more for like i hope people can play this in 20 years from now and have just as much fun with it cuz the design is just kind of timeless which i generally do think like 2D gaming is um and when it comes to like the rough edges i think the one area you kind of get that feel from that we retained is in the cutscenes, which yeah. <laughs> obviously I think most people are very curious about. Yeah, um, yeah, we
1: specifically were just about to ask you about that. I mean, obviously, those those famously animated CDI cutscenes are kind of uh, etched in gaming history. Is that right. was that a hard art style? to emulate were those difficult to recreate because i mean they if you had told me that this was just a remake of an actual cdi game at first i would have believed he was like oh i'd never heard of arzette but i guess they're
2: remaking this now
4: yeah it's a huge compliment actually
2: <laughs> yes thank you um yeah so there was a there is a style guide obviously uh to try to steer people in the right direction but a lot of the artists that i'm working with Uh, other than a lot of them are professional animators but they're also um, just huge fans of the uh, original like cdi games and the animation and everything and so they sort of like they understood what was needed like they they knew what was what was like they knew what the assignment was basically yeah
4: and i think the rough edges on that obviously from like uh art Art design standpoint, uh, mm-hmm. they look kind of of the era. People call it like an MS Paint style, which yeah. I, I guess I could kind of see that. But the one thing we wanted to avoid with those cutscenes was that they were too self-aware. Uh, I didn't yes. want characters to like look at the camera and wink. It's like, hey, we are in the cell. I see the eye kind of game.
3: Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And the
4: one thing, and I've done a lot of writing for different like creative stuff, and I always kind of I don't like fourth wall breaking stuff too much. So. I just one thing i noticed about all the characters in the cdi zelda games was that they're, they're kind of self-confident they're very kind of like just confident in the world they inhabit they just kind of belong there and everything makes sense to them they're just kind of positive towards anything so the main heroine our set kind of embodies that spirit so uh she's a very confident character but she's not too like self-aware in where she is she just exists in that world with all the other characters and that's normal to her so i think that's how we kind of struck the balance of not deviating too much from the cell cdi style but also at the same time not making those cutscenes into just kind of um reference reference. just a constant and- stream
1: of winking and nodding yeah, right? yeah
4: like, i really want to avoid that because yeah. it's so easy to do that right just like well they have to say something about bombing this and you know someone has to come in on the carpet and say shout or like something like this <laughs> and it's like yeah we can have things that are similar to that situation but it should never ever be that's just straight up you remember that right you remember they did this right you You just don't want the characters
1: (laughs) constantly looking at the camera like you understood that reference right
4: right yeah so but we were lucky though that we got we did get some of the talent from the original solid cdi games to join on voices so there are like these kind of clear references but it's never to the point of like they look straight at the camera it's like you remember
2: Right. And that was really important. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, writing the game with Audie was a delight because he understood that that's what I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to make a meme game. I didn't want to make a joke game. You know, I wanted to make a genuine, like this, this is the thing. Right. And, uh, it's, I'm, I'm really happy that I was able to work with him on that because yeah, I, I don't know if anybody else would have had so much restraint <laughs> because, uh, you know, like, again, it was really important that we, uh, we don't wink at the camera or we don't like make a joke of everything. Cause it's not a joke to RZ. <laughs> it's uh, a very
4: Ryan. serious game. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, very, very. <laughs> uh, well, it, it reminds me of um. It actually it reminds me like of uh, something like Hypnospace Outlaw or something. Mm-hmm. Like it needs to like it needs to be true yeah. to the thing that it's. It needs to feel like an actual you know something brought out of that era. And I'm glad you guys brought up the the voice talent because yep. uh, definitely wanted to ask about that. You did manage to work with some of that that original voice talent to play roles in the game. Uh, I'm curious, like who did you round up? Who are they playing in the game? What's the process <laughs> been like? I, I definitely I gotta know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, so that was my doing. It was a lot it's a lot of time and effort. Uh, but when I kind of explained what the project was, you know, oh, this isn't like I'm not gonna be making fun of anything. Like I explained what the project was, and they were all super on board. Uh, the voices were Jeffrey Rath, who was the original voice of Link in Faces of Evil. And uh, Bonnie Jean Wilbur, who was Zelda, and both well, not just face of Evil, both of the games, Wanda Gamelon and Faces of Evil. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Jeffrey narrates the trailer too. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, um, but no, it was super fun. It was really surreal uh, to have them in the recording booth, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll reveal more about that in the future. So. Yeah, I don't mm. think
4: uh, we haven't said who they're playing yet. Nope. Um, it okay. make it makes sense who they're playing, uh, but we haven't revealed those characters yet. But yeah, it was fun to see, especially Jeffrey, I think, um, because they were, uh, I didn't have the chance to sit in on their recording, but I kind of looked over the conversations a little bit, and it's like, you know, I think they always thought This was funny. This kind of like, yeah, we know there's this huge community out there that thinks to sell the CDI stuff is funny, and our performances were what they were, and this this yeah. kind of stuff. And then when we Seth approached them about this and kind of explained the project, I think it was a little bit kind of vindication. And you can kind of tell that they're very spirited in their performances, and it just it's fun to see them being able to kind of come back and give it their all for kind of the same type of project but so many years later and see that spark still being there so you know for this little game that we're doing we kind of captured a little bit of magic that i wasn't expecting so yeah that, that actually meant a lot to me because um i don't care so much about my own experiences what happens uh, but I do care about other people's experiences. Like I mentioned with Seth having a positive experience. But also when I look at like the animators being able to do these cutscenes and just how much fun they're having doing this finally, even though they animated much better in quotation marks stuff before. It's <laughs> like you can tell that like they dreamt of doing something like this. So I see how much fun they're having. Just and a then second, when I just s- second, just a second. Oh.
1: Are you telling me that people who enjoy their work could potentially produce better work
4: yes i think Uh, so yeah so i'm european so i I am i am familiar (laughs) with this concept already uh, but i might be yeah it's news to us yeah Yeah, (laughs) but uh, that's a
1: completely (laughs) foreign concept to americans
4: yeah so but yeah when i saw those voice recordings too like before putting it into the game even i was like i could kind of tell that they were they were proud of what they were doing and they had fun doing what they were doing and it kind of, I could tell that something was happening for them as well. And I was so happy to see that we gave them that opportunity that this game actually was such a positive experience before it even came out to people. So, you know, it's meant something to me already as well. So, you know, we we can't cancel the game now. I think we're
2: all pretty right? satisfied. Okay, I'm gonna remember yeah. that, all right? That yeah. We have we just, it recorded. You play, yeah, put, play back noted. this
4: interview when the first sales report comes out. And, um. <laughs> okay. Yeah,
1: we'll do that. <laughs> well, I mean you can't cancel the game after it's already come that, out. That's so. true.
4: Well, we'll see. There's ways. Mm. Yeah. It can be it. <laughs> there
1: are ways. <laughs> there
4: are ways. We we'll that we'll out.
0: figure it out.
1: But I mean, you know, <laughs> going in the opposite direction of something like that, I mean, obviously we're talking about LRG, who is, of course, very famous for their physical additions. And mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we, we just kind of have to ask, um, mm-hmm. can you guys reveal anything about the physical edition uh, for Arzette?
4: So we can't reveal any contents or anything, but definitely there will be one. Uh, so, okay. Because this is a project that, uh, you know, as we mentioned, Seth and I got to talking and started designing the game together. Mm -hmm. But the time we started designing it, I actually was not part of LRG yet. Uh, I was working for a completely different company, uh, which wasn't really in the market of doing these kinds of games. So it was very much just a side thing I was doing, uh, mostly for Seth. And, um, actually on my very first day, at Limited Run, my That's very first day, I had Seth fly into the office to meet me there. And I had sent him some money because before this, we had, like, a pitch demo that was just, like, CDI assets, again, with, like, MS Paint backgrounds. Uh, literally, like, black and white, just mock-ups of what a stage would look like to give people a sense, like, well, here's what we're trying to do. It feels good to play, doesn't it? And they're like, yeah, but this is based on a cdi game like get the, get out of my office and so we had next <laughs> door so met it was a hard wall. pitch uh, I, it was i will say you know we didn't pitch it to like a ton of people at that time mm-hmm. but we pitched it to some who kind of like this is neat but you're you're trying to get us to sell a new cdi game and it's like yeah we're hitting this wall so i actually mm-hmm. told Seth, like i'm going to give you some money out of my savings and just like go create assets for this Even if nothing happens, don't worry about it.
1: That's weird because I figure I would just figure with a company that, you know, lauded their release of Night Trap a couple of years ago. And, you know, the company that's been trying to talk to us about plumbers don't wear ties for years now. I honestly would have figured that the second they heard about this game, they wouldn't oh, be yeah. able to back it fast enough.
4: Oh, this was before I was part of the company. So, yeah. oh, okay. Guess, so oh, yeah. you're talking
1: about pitching to other companies Yeah, other companies.
4: This was before LRG. Uh, okay. the, so as I said, I flew Seth or Seth flew himself in to LRG's offices on my very first day at Limited Run. And we pitched it for well, three minutes and they were like, Limited Run was like, yeah, you know, how much do you need? yeah and it's paid yeah it <laughs> literally what they were just like how much do you need yes and that's the ma- that's why i joined limited run as well because like um as you said they're mostly known for doing physical stuff yeah. uh but the one thing that's happened behind the scenes at limited run for years is that we have done a lot more like supporting of development and creating these dream projects allowing developers to kind of do games they never thought would be possible. And this is one of those those types of games. So oh, yeah. yeah, it it's kind of like a f- game that couldn't really exist without a company like Limited Run, be it if I was part of it or not. And so uh but of course being a limited run game then uh it will have a physical edition. And oof, it's gonna be it's gonna be it's good. probably gonna be exactly what you would want it to be based on what it's based on yep nice i
0: was gonna say is that mean we can expect is there gonna be like a big collector's edition <laughs> perhaps well we got
3: we <laughs> got to
4: make our money back somehow <laughs> yeah yes. an um, actual jewel of pheromone yeah yeah i mean uh, you know this we know there's a we you know all jokes aside we know there's you know a fan base for this on multiple levels there's people yeah. who have nostalgia for cdi there's at least 10 of them one is on the show <laughs> right. and you know <laughs> there are, are on this show yeah oh we're great <laughs> this is perfect podcasting, and you know but there's also the kind of reverence for the zelda cdi stuff is specifically Um, and you know, so it's kind of like on multiple levels, this is an important game and not just for limited run, but in general, just kind of getting something out there that makes sense physically. And, uh, so it will be digital and physical.
1: One question I would like to ask, because obviously, you know, talking about LRG, one of the things that limited run made sure to get people excited about was this idea of their carbon engine. Right. And you know, beyond just the the financial aspect and the financial aid from LRG, uh, I know this is still a new game, but it is still it still absolutely has its roots in those old retro boots. So, yeah. like, were you able to get any help from the Carbon Engine, or how how is that like? Is there any assistance going from that regard into Arzette?
4: not not in a technical like carbon standpoint so i'm the lead producer on carbon as well yeah and so which is our um emulation engine uh for modern systems uh which has been spearheaded by joe moduleski and the uh, modern vintage gamer yeah and uh, super exciting so, yeah uh, i mean i love working on stuff and it's the greatest team in the world really um uh, and so technically Carbon isn't doing anything for our set because it's a brand new game uh, yeah. done in, in its own engine. But the staff from Carbon, uh Bonaventure Gamer, Joe Majuleski, uh have all stepped in to help us with the game. So there is a bit of DNA in the sense to, to people behind it. Oh. Uh, and then my, me as well. Uh, but there isn't any lifting going on behind the scenes from Carbon as a technology.
1: Well, I mean... Over the course of the development of this, uh, Seth, I mean, uh, you've, you know, had all this help from Digital Foundry with Audi and John and now over here at Limited Run. I mean, like the where you're at right now, is it hard for you to even reckon with the amount of support and where Arzette has come and where it's at even before launch at this
2: point? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I'm so lucky that I get to work with friends like i would consider uh everybody that adi has mentioned including himself a very good friend so (laughs) i'm i'm very very lucky in that regard i wasn't invited to your wedding
4: though
3: (laughs) well that's gonna be 10 years ago
2: next year so how about uh yeah we'll talk about that later no but uh Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm super lucky, super grateful for all the opportunities. Uh, it was very important to me. Uh, I know my own limitations very well. Uh, so I very much value collaboration. And, you know, just for my own standards and for myself, like I want to make the very best game that I can. And yeah. uh, I think with all of the really outstanding uh, assistance and collaboration I've had, I, I think people are really, really going to be surprised by R Z
0: we can't wait obviously the only release date we have right now is just a vague 2023 um hopefully we'll hear soon about like a, a more hard release date is there a window is it like fall winter that y'all are targeting or is it just 2023
4: it's only 2023 right now uh for some re- for some specific reasons actually but uh, uh okay. it shouldn't take too long before we have more to say about in more, a more accurate release window um but yeah, it it should be landing here in 2023.
0: I love it. We can't we can't wait. I I'll leave y'all with this because this is you know uh, around here we like to ask uh, every independent developer that we talk to typically which Nintendo IP they would uh, like to work with if given the chance. But it kind of looks like you're already doing that <laughs> here with uh with Arzette. But um, is there like an option B for for both of y'all?
4: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, man, so. A few years ago, I wrote a book about every wrestling game I ever made. Oh, uh, which you're is speaking an, my uh, language now, my yeah. friend. All right, I'll send you a link to the book. But, like, uh, and that took me many years. So it was a nightmare to make. Uh, but that's for a different conversation. Uh, but uh, I would say that I would love to take NES Pro Wrestling, Famicom oh, Wrestling Star Association, Starman, Amazon, man, Amazon oh, King Slender. Man, you're, you're talking uh,
1: my, my language now, my I, friend.
4: Did you notice? I don't know if you saw the Super Mario movie. Did you? Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when you look at Mario's room, he has a poster in the background of Starman versus yep. the yep. Amazon. And I was yep. like, I, w- I think I was the only person who noticed because uh, most of the people around me were like eight years old. But I still screamed it out. It's like, <laughs> that's Starman. And they were like, leave the theater, sir. Uh, but um, yeah, so I would love to like just see what could be done with those characters. I was really hoping throughout smash brothers lifetime that they would be like assist characters. I think it's I called mean, like the capsule so, characters. Right? Yeah, you'd yeah. think so because they would just make so much sense. Uh, but, um, they never showed up and I was like, ah, oh, man, you know, those, those characters are iconic and they come yeah. up here and there in Nintendo's history.
1: I was really hoping we spoke to the developer of Retromania Wrestling on the Nintendo oh, Switch. Oh yeah, yeah, excellent. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, when we spoke with him, he was like, "Man, I I really tried to to campaign to Nintendo to get them to let me use Starman for this game. I really wanted him
4: Yeah, it's it's hard with that stuff, right? Because you know, especially being a multi-platform game, it's yeah. hard to make use of that IP, but you'd mm-hmm. think that at least, yeah, for the switch exclusive for the switch or something, version. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, that but, uh, smart, right? I've heard it I've, I've heard this cause I've actually investigated a little bit just through contacts uh, over the years, mm-hmm. uh, kind of out of curiosity. And, um, I think a lot of it has to do with like, even though some of them aren't really based around likenesses, like one of them is based on like Antonio Inoki, and one is based on like Ric Flair but yeah. there, there is some sort of like nebulous reason from like who designed the characters that they don't get used that much. So, uh, the game itself was actually designed by the same guy who made the fire pro wrestling. Yeah. So, yep, yep, yep. um, might be some kind of connection there, but yeah, it's too bad. We don't see those characters, but that would be my pick for a Nintendo IP. Well,
1: if you get to work on that, I'll do voiceover work. I'll do writing. <laughs> I, I won't even take <laughs> Whatever.
0: All right.
4: We'll make it for <laughs> well, the we'll CDI. Lie.
2: Yep, absolutely there, <laughs> there you go done there's an idea signed on Ah, uh, yeah mine would be metroid easy easy answer
4: but people no, are already nice. making that
2: well you know me i would do can you pick
4: a better right. game stuff yeah
3: <laughs> oh you want okay
2: uh we'll 3d see. or 2d metroid first of all uh probably 3d because 2d has been done to death mm.
0: Mm. fair yeah mm. we're still waiting to see 3D yeah, we're come seeing, back, yeah. right
1: yeah, you can jump on that uh, Prime Four team and help get
2: it out the door. I don't know about that. I can't imagine what they <laughs> had to go through. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
4: They they really need some pointers from you, Seth. I think you should go to Retro Studios and tell okay. them how to do their job.
2: Yeah,
0: I'll charge <laughs> through the doors. I, I think and you're at that look. point in your career
4: now. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think you can go in there. So like you, you can just go, go on, in go their door.
4: It's like I I remade a CDI game and uh, I want to tell you <laughs> to make a 3D Zelda. Or, sorry, I 3D think you'll Metroid.
3: find. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, <laughs> the sniper sights appear on my head after that. Sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So yeah.
4: your answer was Mac Rider, right? Mock Rider? Oh yeah. man.
2: That's a that's a really good pick. See, All right. uh, that is a great uh, pick. Yeah, that is good at yeah. picking things and I'm just mm. good at making it happen. Okay. Hey, that sounds like a that's match a good, made. That's a happen. good partnership. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: It's yeah. yeah. a good so, partnership.
4: So that's the next game we're making after this is uh Mock Rider two.
0: There we go. Nice. Wow, I love I it. Fi- confirmed. confirmed. Thank you I for the official announcement of that. Looking
1: forward to that release. Uh, vague 2024 release date, I imagine. We'll, uh, go, ahead and yeah, take that we,
4: we'll go with 2023 still. We, we, we <laughs> had <have> that <laughs> okay, going. Oh, oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Might okay. as well just continue that news train.
1: flash yeah. here at all in <laughs> yeah. this setting. But uh, genuinely, guys, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Cannot wait for Arzette, the Jewel of Faramore, to come out. Um, I mean... Uh, where can people follow you at? where can people learn about all the magic
2: that's going on over there uh, well you can follow me at uh on twitter at the what's is, that uh, sorry i haven't
4: what's twitter,
2: what's twitter? <laughs> oh excuse me x yeah, yeah sorry about that yeah whatever uh, oh right, right 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 yes yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right and uh but for general updates on the game uh you can follow at rz game everywhere so uh, Twitter, Facebook, excuse me, X, Facebook, uh, Instagram threads.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, you can if you want to follow me as an individual, uh, I'm at PC98 underscore Audi. Uh, but do also follow, of course, both Limit to Run Games and the
2: Digital Foundry. Nothing else you want to mention?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah, by all means. Yeah, well, I'll have links to, to all of y'all stuff in the show notes, of course. For anybody uh, who wants to follow along with Arzett, we're very much looking forward to it. Yeah.
4: And, well, we look forward to hearing what you think of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Can't we wait. We look forward Excellent. to you
1: hearing what we think of it. All right. No, but genuinely, guys, it looks amazing. Thank Thanks you so much. Yeah, it does. Really appreciate
0: it. Let's throw out the red carpet one last time for Seth and Audie. Yay! yay!
3: Ooh,
1: <laughs> Thank yay. you guys again. Good luck with everything. Looking forward to hearing more about Arzett and the Jewel Affair more. Good luck.
4: Thanks so much.
0: That was a great chat with Seth and Audie can't wait to play RZ coming at some point later this year uh, very very excited to uh, to go back to the to the age of the Philips CDI Eric <laughs> Yes from CDI games not
1: cdi cdi it's it'll make sense when you see it in print but yeah make sure to check out them you'll see it in print in the uh, episode description make sure to follow the links and follow everything that both seth and audi are doing at cdi games at limited run games super excited to see our Zet when it gets finished also make sure to follow all in a nintendo podcast we have facebook we have twitter which you can follow at all in podcast, go figure. Also make sure to join our amazing phenomenal community over in the discord. Also, also, also we have an amazing YouTube channel, which we're constantly adding new videos and new content to, in addition to a massive news breakdown that we do every friday night at 7 p.m eastern 4 p.m pacific there was a lot to go over this week i'll tell you so go ahead and follow us at youtube.com slash all in podcast creating content constantly for all of you contributors speaking of contributors seth we even produce exclusive content for our patrons
0: we do we do at patreon.com slash all In podcast. We have some friends and supporters over there. That throw a few bones our way for our hard work. Mm-hmm. We appreciate you all for doing that seven day free trial to the golden banana tier, which gets you access to our two exclusive, uh, Patreon exclusive podcasts that we do every week. Uh, we appreciate that very, very much. You can also support this show entirely for free by dropping some words, leaving us five star reviews on Apple podcast, pod chaser and audible. Uh, you can leave us a five star rating anonymously on Spotify as well. Very, 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 very appreciated way to support this show for free, very easy, and helps us climb the ranks of the other podcasts out there.
1: Yes, we appreciate all of you guys so, so much. We appreciate our patrons. We appreciate all those people who have dropped words. And of course, we appreciate all of you amazing legends who just share our content somewhere, somehow across this vast internet of ours. And to all of you, to each and every one of you, I would like to say namaste
0: namaste another huge episode down a good one as always this week uh good conversations were had fun top five great interview uh i feel like we have properly excavated some gaming history this week uh on the show eric i'm pretty happy (laughs) pretty happy with it fun times yes still wearing this
1: fedora i feel like i need to go play spelunky (laughs) Uh. you should everybody should play spelunky but uh, I know, I know there's too know, many other things but to play. Got,
0: there's too many other things. Yes,
1: we've got so so much to play. Uh we're definitely gonna be checking out uh Disney Illusion Island. We're actually gonna be doing a review for that as well as Pikmin 4. So look forward to both of those in the coming weeks. Uh man, in addition to everything else that's been coming out, there's just so so much, Seth. But I'm I'm like I'm here for all of it. We live in the golden age. Good of- problem to have. Yeah, I mean, it it really does feel like a golden age, but it's still a lot of work. So let's go ahead and get back to it, guys. But we will see you right back here next Saturday for another brand new episode of All In. But until then, I have been Billy Hatcher and the
0: giant Eric. And I have been Master Detective Archive's Seth Code. We will see you next week. Love you very much. Bye. Bye! Bye!